Hey now, welcome to the doghouse, welcome to the jungle, we got fun and games, we wait for Richard to arrive until we begin, to the jungle, welcome to the jungle, got out, no 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 beep, beep, oh there he is. You challenged me to sing Yo. while I waited around for you to show up, but uh, I thankfully got it out of my system after about eight seconds. So They got the kid. They got the kid. They got Doug Shaker Central. Jack Teixeira. They got him. Teixeira. I mean, I know how to pronounce that because there was a baseball player, Mark Teixeira, that was on the Yankees for a while, so I'm pretty sure it's just Teixeira. Teixeira? I thought it would be Hispanic. I thought it would be like Teixeira. No, he's, he's Caucasian. Well, it could be. It could be Spanish descent, right? Uh, well, maybe. I don't know. Uh-huh. Wait, okay, is, Tish- is Mark... Tish- do you know who Mark Tischer is, the baseball player? No, I haven't paid attention to baseball. Do I mean, know? I'm not like... I, I, I paid attention for a while, not a long time, but enough to remember the guy's name. And I, I'm almost positive he was Caucasian. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you could be, but you could be Caucasian. You know there are Caucasian Hispanic. That's you true. That's uh, Portuguese, apparently. So, yeah, I wasn't too far off. Oh, okay. And Portuguese surname, so yeah. So I would have thought it was. Oh yeah, Mark Teixeira was English and uh, he was English and Portuguese ancestry through his father. There you go. Well, learn something new every day. Yeah, serves me right. Um. So what's your uh, <laughs> what's your uh, basic take on all this? I mean, I'm I don't even know what to say. You 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 go ahead. Uh, I don't know, like, they, they act like this stuff is so holy, these secrets, but then, you know, they obviously don't take that care of them. You're, you're, you gotta, you're, get, you're on and off muffled. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably, I'm just pushing, putting my finger there. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, they act like these things, you know, they put people in jail for decades, you know, for revealing this information, but apparently they don't care all that much. I mean, this guy's a 21-year-old National Guardsman, I don't know why... He would need have any need to know any of this stuff, uh, and the fact that it's all you know there available to him, um, you know, tells you something. They're probably they're either they don't care or they're incompetent. I don't know. I think that it seems like he seems like he's an IT guy, so I don't know. Maybe he was just like you know he had access to the system. Yeah, I, mean, I don't get this whole I don't get this whole obsession with emphasizing that he's twenty one years old as though that makes him some sort of uh, toddler who couldn't possibly have access to any sensitive information. He was in a specific unit related to intelligence. It's called the Intelligence Support Squadron, whatever that is. And his he was a network manager, whatever that is. It sounds like something that's reasonably <laughs> enough would lead you to maybe have access to these systems. Well, why does the National Guard, why does anyone in the National Guard the National Guard. Why would anyone in the National? Guard? Well, he's Air National. He's Air National. He's Air National Guard. He's an airman. I mean, he's in some intelligence unit in the Air Force. He's an intelligence. He's in the Air Force. I thought he was in the National National Guard. He's in the Air Force. No, he's a uh, he, well. Air National Guard would be the reserves for the Air Force. Okay. So he's an intelligence analyst, but maybe he's like they're, they're sending it to them. And they're telling them, tell us about North Korea's nuclear program. Here's the intelligence, or tell us something. Well, I don't know that he's an. I mean, I don't know that he's an intelligence analyst, but he's if he's in an in, a specifically designated intelligence oh. unit, and he okay. has some technical role in running the networks. Yeah. Then, 
like, is it that surprising that he could have access to some of this stuff? Remember, he's probably dealing with mostly uh, like 61 year olds who have to be uh, walk through how to use their iPad. Yeah, that's true. Boomers do make do require a lot of supervision. Yeah, maybe you're right. Okay. So I guess that's not a big thing, but I don't know. What do, what do you have to think? What do you think? I don't really have much to say about this. I mean, what, what are you, what's your thoughts? Well, sorry, there's like a fiesta that just broke out outside my window and sirens blaring. I don't know. Maybe they're coming after me. Um, yeah, I mean, the number one thing is that maybe I'm old-fashioned, but like my primary interest in the documents coming out was the contents of the documents because – they were classified, meaning the government was keeping them secret because the public wasn't allowed to see them. Um, and I knew right away, even before looking at any of them, that the stock response was going to be, oh, that's nothing new, or that's, we knew that already, or what are you, you're surprised? I mean, I, I remember that being the refrain for pretty much every major leak that's ever happened. WikiLeaks, uh, DNC slash Podesta leaks in 2016. Snowden it happened with I may remember even remember it happening with the original WikiLeaks um, Iraq and Afghanistan logs because people were saying what you didn't know that like there was um, that uh, U.S. troops might have uh, killed a couple of Shia uh, militias militiamen in like uh, Fallujah or something. Well, no, that's not the point. The point is that the Iraq and Afghanistan logs were useful because they gave a whole comprehensive um, documentary sort of foundation for analyzing that whole issue. I mean, the, the logs were, it was, it was research material. It was primary source material that the government was otherwise really concealing. This. From I, I see a bunch of New York Times and Washington Post stories reporting on these things. I don't see them anybody. I don't see you know, there are. Not people well, say I mean, there are, it's like a, it's like a common, I mean, yeah, it's like a weird sort of, um, it's sort of like a weird contradiction because I there I'm seeing lots of people who are saying it's not notable. For example, that there was a box on one of the documents, one of the first ones that came out that confirmed for the first time that I'm aware of on an actual record, an actual government government record that there are special forces in Ukraine because people say, oh, I assumed all along that they were there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I heard rumors and like people just bullshitting and speculating, but like that's really not sufficient for me to make a factual claim. So whatever suspicion I had and whatever like other, you know, uh, insinuations there could have been about it. Yeah, it is helpful to get the firm documentary proof of that from right from the horse's mouth, meaning right from the classified material system. So that's a, that's just one thing. I mean, but yeah, there is lots of reporting on stuff, and it's, I think, pretty revelatory. I guess maybe I'm sort of overreacting or over um, emphasizing the people uh, flooding into my mentions, like having some sort of half formed conspiracy about why how this is like not the documents aren't real, or there's some sort of um, plot behind why they've been put out to like advance some agenda. I'm not sure whose. It seems like. Everybody who's like the everybody from the U.S. to the to Ukraine to Russia, uh, if those are the three like relevant actors. They all look bad. So like, who who's really the beneficiary of this? Uh, supposedly, I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, what was like? Let's see. What's I mean, the stuff. It's about the uh, 
spying on allies, right? I think doesn't surprise people. Um, every, I think that's the thing where like, they're like, oh, it's like causes embarrassment, but it seems like, you know, sort of everyone knows that's going on. It seems like that's like the revelation every time that the U S is doing that. Uh, the, the, uh, analysis of sort of where the war is at, I mean, matches our, uh, you know, the, the fact that the, the U.S. doesn't doesn't apparently think that the Ukraine offensive is going to go anywhere. We might have guessed that, but we don't we don't know that that was what they thought. Uh, so that's interesting. The fact that they think there's going to be no negotiations uh, this year. I mean, that also I would have guessed I would have guessed that, too. Uh, but we don't know. There was an interesting one um, that basically there is dissension within the Russian government. That's interesting. The. the uh, the uh, ca- casualty counts. We finally got something. Well, hold on, hold on. Before you keep going, let me just uh, address two of those. Okay, so on the negotiations part, which is unfortunately not something that I've seen in the original document. I, I, there's a, a, um, a Washington Post article about it. I don't know. I feel like these some of these outlets, like namely the Washington Post and the New York Times, have some exclusivity arrangement with somebody. Maybe it's like these guys from the Discord server that they establish contact with, where they agreed to not um, allow the documents to proliferate and they would be tra- given the remainder of the batch because um, uh, I, I haven't seen it. If anybody listening has, let me know. They might have I, track, I mean, they might have tracked them down, right? They might have just been all over the, all these websites. Well, I don't know because I, I haven't – I've been you know, looking around and I have people who have like been in the process of sort of uh, obtaining a lot of the stuff from various places and – as far as I know, the newer documents, like the ones that have come out after that initial uh, batch, um, are not in really wide circulation. We're only get, getting them through the Washington Post and, and New York Times, which seems like a bit too uh, too convenient of a coincidence. So it just so happens that the Washington Post and the New York Times have like these super sleuthing skills where they're the ones, they're the only ones who found them. Um, anyway, um, the negotiations thing. Okay, so but here's why that's important, even if you might have surmised it. Or one of the reasons why it cuts against the public rhetoric, where they, the U.S. and Ukraine, or let's just leave it with the uh, at the U.S., they at least will gesture, meaning you know Biden, Blinken, Jake Sullivan, whoever, they will at least um, give some sort of rhetorical. credence to the idea that there will be have to be a negotiated settlement at some point right so it's not reflected in the rhetoric that there's the kind of consensus view within the intelligence community that it's just not happening like if that were actually transmitted in the way that they talk about the issue publicly that could have an effect on public perception and public opinion right um and then yeah i mean people everybody assumed that the government was that the U.S. is just spying willy nilly on everybody. Well, I mean, first of all, that's a wild assumption to make. I mean, it, that's like not the norm for most countries. I know people think that like there's just ubiquitous espionage omnidirectionally everywhere, but like, no, that's it's a it's a somewhat. I'm not saying no other countries spy, uh, conduct espionage operations, right? But the U.S. is unique in how just um, all encompassing and relentless its operations are and think of it this way you know just reflect on all the grandiose rhetoric that's been um used to portray ukraine as fighting on the you know 
bleeding edge of democracy, upholding the rules-based international order, all the standard cliches. You know, democracy will uh, be destroyed worldwide if Ukraine doesn't prevail. And there's just then you know Zelensky's the second coming of Winston Churchill. All all the just the cliche and the platitudes that we've been inundated with for a year. Isn't there like a uh, sort of a notable? Uh, um, just uh, a notable, uh, dico- notable dichotomy between that rhetoric and the fact that, oh, by the way, the U.S. is spying personally on Zelensky this entire time because apparently he's not forthright enough where the spying would be unnecessary. And not just him either, pers- uh, although to have to be spying on him personally, given like the overblown um, exaltation of him is, you know, I think. <laughs> worth uh, worth uh, pondering, but it's the entire seemingly senior uh, government, um, uh, entire ranks of senior government officials and military officials. The U.S. is spying on this on the whole government while they're telling the populate the the general public that you know Ukraine is the embodiment of the hope of civilization. I mean, yeah, I do think that there is well, a. Um, a contrast there that's worth no, uh, that's, sort that's of silly. talking so about. Wait, so what? So if they if they believe there's a such thing as a democracy and the Ukraine's battle is important, that means the U.S. would not uh, surveil Zelensky just because if he's it's a democracy. That means he's he's perfect and they would never they would trust one hundred percent of what he says that he that he's God. What what, what is that? That's well, if 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 he's if he's not forthcoming enough with his. Uh, Chief ally, who he comes and addresses Congress, gets these standing ovations, is talked is uh, you know declared to be the the keeper of like the spirit of the American Revolution. All this rhetoric, <laughs> and yet they, they, they can't even be, rely on him to give like basic operational information. So they have to so inter- then, do signal intercepts on his personal communications. So that like so this was in the I mean this was in the news already that. Um, that basically, you know, they always, the cliche they say is the U.S. has more insight into Russia plans than Ukrainian plans, right? So we, we are, I mean, there is already sort of the admitting that we, uh, that we don't get, you know, everything from Ukraine. Um, and so now this is, we're saying we're spying on them. You say it's not necessarily the case everyone spies on everyone. I don't know. Like, maybe they do. We know the U.S. spies on everyone. I mean, I think that's, that's come out in a few different uh, leaks, right? That was in the So you're saying if that having common knowledge, that's simultaneous to all these, homages being made of Zelensky, it was known that he was being spied on by the uh, whoever, CIA or NSA. You don't think that would have like sort of somewhat altered the perception of his dynamic with the U.S.? We know that we know that he's not giving the U.S. information they want. Right. We know that that's being reported everywhere. So like we know that. Um, I, I don't think everybody just knows that that's. It's I don't think everybody knows that to that degree that they would just assume that he's being that his uh, his you know private communications are being gathered up by the National Security Agency. Well, I mean that's like that's you know the the, the main thing. I mean the main thing that's relevant to like him not being the uh, being the pillar of democracy. I mean according to you, not that I, I buy this, but the idea that he's not you know he's not the pillar of democracy is because he's not sharing the information. Right, the U.S. spying on him is like a different thing. That's just the U.S. A reaction to Zelensky. Right? Well, I, I guess if he's so val, if he's as valorous as he's made out to be, you'd expect that 
maybe there would be a level of trust. There would be a level of trust. I mean, don't, don't you think there would be a level of trust if he's that valorous, if he's Winston Churchill, if he's whatever, that they wouldn't have to be, like, intercepting his phone calls? I mean, I don't know. Like, in the U.S. Or bugging his, or bugging his uh, bunker or whatever? I, I don't doubt that. I think the U.S. would likely have, uh, you know, I think the U.S. would have, would have – look, the U.S. spies on Canada. Does that mean – uh, that Canada is like not a democracy, or like that says something about they spy on Justin Trudeau. Uh, what well, the U.S. has spied on Germany? Did the U.S. Did, the, did it come out that the U.S. Was yeah, and that, it was like, that was a huge scandal. I yeah, mean that, okay. and it was a huge scandal when the Snowden um, revelations showed that the U.S. was spying. It wasn't even on Dilma Rousseff herself, the former president of Brazil was. The uh, Brazilian state oil company. That was a giant okay. scandal. How about yeah. South Korea? I mean, they, it, I, I, apparently the South Korean foreign minister was not aware that he was being spied on by the U.S. and felt that there was a breach of some sort of mutual understanding. And there, there's like a diplomatic um, okay. now, sort of now, incident we're, now. We're moving on to a different topic, right? Like oh, yeah. Another, a big deal. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you that it could, you know, it is. It's not nothing. Yeah, I mean, I you could assume it. You could think maybe fifty percent chance that it's happening, but you don't know. And uh, it happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something there. I don't think anyone's saying it's. Maybe maybe your Twitter reply guys are saying it's no big deal, but I think you know. I think the media is treating it like you know. It actually is a pretty big deal. Right. I mean, I, I just think <laughs> finally after you know over a year, when I, I saw there was a, a BBC article that came out. Maybe it was a day or two ago. That was just about this um, special forces tally that ha- appears on one of these documents. It's just a straight news article, and the BBC said, um, despite um, su- you know suspicions, or they were like the BBC like, kind of uh, they made it seem like they had a hunch about this. I forget how they phrased it exactly, but they alluded to they, them like having like somewhat somewhat of an indication that there were special forces in Ukraine this whole time. But only after this leak are they finally reporting it. Um, you know, even though it actually had been in the Brit- had been in the British media that there were uh, British special forces on the ground for for some time, but the BBC never reported it, and only after um, the leaks do they report it because like it's just in everybody's face. I think that's somewhat of a notable development too, because like once it's something's out there in, in circulation, yeah. I mean, you, 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 there's no longer like plausible deniability. By the way, the, yeah, the most the most interesting thing that I think came out, and we, we haven't talked about this, I, I almost forgot about it because it was like one of the first things they reported from the leaks was that the Ukraine is uh, running out of like the air defenses, right? That like there's actual a time limit on this that the U.S. believes, I don't know, I don't remember, like uh, late, you know, mid to late April, that basically they're not going to have any air defenses and then Russia's air force can become a lot more uh, effective. And so like we don't know how much of that stuff is propaganda or how much it's real when it's like just anonymous sources. But like an internal leak is actually like a big deal and makes me sort of think that Ukraine actually might be in trouble if they don't find a way to get them more stuff. See, I don't, I don't know. I'm not actually sure that that's particularly important. Um, well, and I'm not just trying to be contrarian either, people. Uh, Richard. How's that, how's that um, unimportant? Here's why. Here's why. Because, I mean, these aren't static assessments, right? They're ever-evolving assessments. That, and we just got one snapshot of, of them from like, um, you know, March 2nd or something. Um, so it could have been that the NSA or whoever's um, collating the material for the briefing assessed that as of that moment, uh, they were lacking sufficient uh, supply to, to, to continue operations. But, you know, there's still like a big ongoing armed supply uh, mission sure. happening. 
Um, so I, I guess I just don't, don't know how, how like, set in stone that um, assessment would be or if it's just like one sort of granular installation of a, you know, perpetually ongoing, like, uh, sort of the just continuous assessment um, that, you know, just can change by the day. Uh, I doubt they change by the day. I mean, it takes a while to get them stuff, and they're you know sending stuff, and the, and the packages are announced, and then they go there. Uh, you know, it's probably different. It changes over the course of a month. But look, if they say, you know, we're, they're going to run out in a month and a half or two months, like it just the point is they're basically you know even the U.S. even the you know even the analyst is not at the time is not going to know perfectly. Uh, but you know, the idea is like, look, the idea that Ukraine is. Uh, potentially running short on something so that's very uh, valuable and important is true. And then maybe, like, they scrambled a bit. But, like, if, if that if that analysis came in early March and then we haven't, like, seen the announcement of, like, a giant new package like going to put in like, the last month or any reporting or any reason to think that there's going to like, tons of more of, uh, and, you know, these things, are hard, these things are not easy to find. These things are not easy to find. Um, but, you know, that's a good reason to probably think that, like, the situation probably hasn't changed all that much. Yeah. I mean, so here's that, – that's one where I think somebody would have a point if they'd say, oh, we knew that already. Now, even if we, quote, knew it already, I still want to see the hard sort of uh, documentary evidence of it. I still want to see, like, what the actual assessment is. I still want to see it for myself as to how it's, like, transmitted within the intelligence community, um, you know, uh, data system. Um, but you know there has been reporting about how Ukraine is very low on ammunition. They've been that's they've been begging for it publicly, and they I think they you know, they make these they make that's why they're making these uh, effusive public appeals all the time for people to send them weapons. I mean that's really not hidden at all. And um, even remember when when was this in January or something maybe February when the Washington Post article came out about how the for the HIMAR rockets. Ukraine was getting like a real time sign off through the U.S. at a base in what they called a NATO country. It was Poland. Um, that was partly because they were so low on ammunition that they had to conserve it. And so that so they would uh, get that specifically kind of um, endorsed by the U.S. as a legitimate target just to. Uh, to sort of husband their resources. Um, so I mean, but that's, and that's just one example of how the shortage. If you were Ukraine, been, wouldn't you be always asking for more weapons, even if like you had a lot? Like, wouldn't you just be like, oh, even if you had weapons for like two years, wouldn't you still be like, because you want three years in case the war goes up, longer worth of weapons? I would. Yeah, I guess you would, but I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I've I've heard fairly consistently them saying specifically that they they are you know, running low on supplies and they need more ammunition to continue yeah, the fight. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I, didn't know, I, I didn't know whether to believe that or not. I mean, it seems like they could, they would, they might want to say that no matter what. So the fact that we yeah. know and like the U.S. also believes that too is, is something. Well, I mean, but why, why wouldn't you think that? I mean, it's, it was reported uh, as because of like... I would say, because I think that they could possibly like have like weapons to last. Like I said, like I just said, like no matter how many they want, they want more. Like you could always have more, right? You shoot down 80% of Russian rockets you know, you'd want to shoot down 95% of Russian rockets, or if you can go for two years, you'd want to go for four years, right? Like, it's like, no matter what you have, like, there's always a, seems like a benefit in a war to, to be asking for more. Yeah. Um, I just remember being reported, I think maybe, uh, maybe late last year sometime, uh, that um, 
if there was a point at which Ukraine officially had no more Soviet um, ammunition in its stockpiles to, to draw from, and so they became wholly dependent on the uh, NATO operational um, Maybe it wasn't just ammunition. I'm maybe mixing up what the exact armament was. But there was a point where they like they ran out of everything that they had in their own um, in their own reserves and became like wholly dependent on external provisions. Um, and so, you know, at that point, like if you're like wholly dependent on external provisions, you have I imagine that like you have to be pretty cautious about your ongoing uh, level of and supply. The other thing is the direness of it, right? Like one month, like one month or two months or six months, like of what they, you know, they're running low, but what actually it is in, in real terms. I mean, it's it, interesting to have that information. So I thought this was, I mean, big, and I think it's a lot bigger than like the stuff like, oh, like somebody's embarrassed because somebody spied on somebody. That's not going to determine the co- course of the war. Um, but, you know, having information about sort of, you know, where the, uh, uh, you know, so having information about battlefield realities, I think that's a pretty big Well, yeah, well, and the South Korea thing was related, though, because that whole deal that the U.S. was trying to broker, where, because South Carolina, uh, I was going to say South Carolina, because uh, Tim Scott, <laughs> now the stupid candidacy for president, because <laughs> South Korea um, had a policy where it was prohibited to send arms directly into a war zone or to a warring um, party or a combatant that the U.S. was engineering this end, uh, this roundabout way of um, trans- transiting them, meaning the artillery supplies uh, through uh, Poland or what have you. Or I think the the initial idea was that the U.S. was going to purchase the South Korean artillery for itself and then just offset that by sending its own U.S. artillery to Ukraine. And then the intercepts show, at least in these materials, that the that South Korea didn't believe that the U.S. was actually going to follow through on the agreement. Um, and so they were under you know, pressure to, uh, to figure wow. out how to proceed. But that, but, that was, but that was because of the, them having to go through these roundabout ways to get more artillery into the uh, theater. I didn't know that was from the documents that Korea was doubtful that the U.S. would uh, would uh, keep up would keep up its end of the bargain. Well, keep up its end of the bargain in that the what had to be adhered to per South Korea's policy is that the buyer couldn't be a combatant, right? And the U.S. was going to facilitate it so that like they got by on that technicality and they were, for whatever reason, worried that I guess maybe the U.S. was just going to sort of streamline the process and have them sent directly or I'm not sure what the specifics of it are, but they were they were worried that the deal that would insulate them from a violation of the policy was not going to be upheld in some way. Um, Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, one last point on this and we'll go to callers. uh, so much quicker than usual. Um, so I watched, uh, I, I uh, listened to the daily Pentagon press briefing, right? So this is this little click of um, defense reporters who are there every day and, you know, on a first name basis with the um, public information um, officer or admiral. And, um, 
and, and asking questions. And you know, most most of the time, people don't tune into this because there's nothing that's especially uh, timely going on. Or actually, you know, I, I take that back. More people, I I do actually look at this somewhat regularly because you know there's lots of stuff going on in the uh, military domain as of the past year or so. But um, of course, today it was all about the leaguer being caught and what have you. And uh, I, I tweeted this earlier, but I just, because uh, I, I, sometimes I do this. Like sometimes you have to actually transcribe into just te- plain text how dumb journalists are, especially in a press conference type setting, which is when they're incentivized to be at their absolute dumbest. They just ask the most asinine questions. It's almost hard to believe, and you have to put it down on um, on paper, so to say, to really appreciate it. I mean, every journalist who asked a question at this thing, um, you know, from CNN to to Fox to the AP to these um, somewhat more obscure uh, defense industry type publications, they all asked questions that were premised on the, like demanding some sort of accountability from the Pentagon for how they were going to ensure that the classification regime was going to be improved in its ability to make sure that nobody got documents again. I mean, they're not, it's like the antithesis of like what you would think would be the journalistic line of inquiry. Cause like the journalist in theory wants to get that information because it's newsworthy. It's in the public interest and it's being withheld by the government. But they're all asking questions geared toward, you know, chastising the government for not adequately concealing what had been disclosed by way of this leak. Um, so just give me, I'll just give you like one example here. Um, here's somebody from some outlet, uh, def- some defense outlet. Her name is Brandy. What technologies is the Pentagon applying right now to both spot leak documents online? and spot potential indicators of leaking-type practices. And here's what Lara Seligman of Politico says, who's always getting very you know, interesting scoops from her sources in the Defense Department, who will you know, always uh, slide something anonymously to her that uh, you know, is not really uh, too much against the grain. She asked, can you say whether DOD has anyone looking at chat rooms on Discord, for example, or other social media platforms right now for leaked information? And the funniest is Jen Griffin, this Fox News lady who's um who proudly announced yesterday that she on behalf of fox and in conjunction with other news organizations had agreed with somebody presumably the dod although she didn't specify to not report on the documents i mean it's amazing she says she just asks asks the the press um you know, uh, Admiral, how did this happen? And isn't this a massive security breach? What is your message to anyone who might be thinking of leaking these kinds of documents in the future? I mean, it's um, it's hilarious. And of course, you know, that's a particularly sort of rarefied crowd of uh, people who need, journalists who are in a position where they have to maintain or they think they have to maintain a certain level of access and like, um, you know, professional comedy with the Pentagon. Uh, but even in like the wider sort of media landscape, yeah, there's obviously there are outlets reporting on this, but uh, you, there's also um, I don't know, there's like a weird sort of uh, lack, uh, uh, sort of uh, reluctance to uh, uh, deal with the substance of the content, content 
the material on a whole. Yeah, I know it's being reported on, but I feel like the the uh, the more sort of salacious aspect that is sort of within the media's uh, bailiwick to make their focus is like you know the personal narrative or drama around the leaker. How did he get it? Is he pro Russia? Uh, you know, what's this stupid Discord channel? Um, uh, is he a, is he a whistleblower? So there's going to be like you know that's going to if you log on to CNN or the New York Times right now, um, it's all about like the personal you know, uh, intrigue around this particular guy, which, you know, I'm not saying it's uh, uninteresting or not worth knowing, but if you're em- emphasizing it so disproportionately that it drowns out like the significant substantive uh, implications of all this stuff, then I think you're uh, probably got your s- priorities a bit askew. Uh, was that all the, que- I mean, was that all the questions? Were they all like that? Was there any interest in the underlying substance or was um, that's not all of them, but I didn't hear the ones that I omitted, uh, weren't, I just omitted them because they like, weren't quite as outwardly stupid, not because they had to do with the substance. Um, like they didn't ask about the substance of any of the documents because I don't know, maybe they think they could get in trouble or, you know, they, uh, <laughs> the, well, first of all, I mean, the Pentagon uh, wouldn't even confirm or deny that any of it was real. So maybe it's fruitless to even ask them about it. But, like, you think you should at least try, maybe, if you're, like, supposed to be acting in a journalistic capacity. But it was pretty much like that for, um, you know, for the 40 minutes of the press conference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about this before. Like, a lot of the national security press apparently believes that their job is to um, hold the, you know, national security state accountable by making sure it's doing all it can to defend our, you know, national interests abroad. And, you know, they have a very trusting view towards government. Maybe this is access journalism. Maybe they go into national security reporting uh, because they believe it. But this, yeah, this reminds me of your, uh, when you went to that, whatever that name was. This was, it sounds like the exact same thing. Well, yeah, I mean, the quintessential example of this is, um, I, I wasn't personally at this. I was in Brussels at the time for the extraordinary summit that they convened last March. But they wouldn't let me in because the Belgian Ministry of Defense uh, determined that I was not uh, eligible, um, which I'm eternally offended by. But they held a press conference, and the journalists that they did let in, you know, they were a doozy. And it's, it's just it's always stuck in my mind what this woman from CBS asked Nancy Cortez, Cortez to Joe Biden was the following: Were you too quick to rule out World War Three? I'm not even exaggerating, really. I mean, it might be a slight variation of that, but that's almost exactly what she asked. Were you too quick to rule out World War Three? That's how they feel that they're holding the president's feet to the fire by wondering if maybe he's excessively averse to launching like the most cataclysmic uh, global conflagration anybody could imagine. So great job. All right, Andrew. Hello, gentlemen. I would uh, like to bring up three points. First of all, the third point I'll make quickly first was that why don't they, why don't they want to report on the substance doesn't that remind you of the New York Times article where the headline said, maybe it's everybody, it, everybody's better off not knowing what happened with the Nord Stream pipeline? It's the same logic, right? I mean, it's the same logic. Um, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't over, I mean, don't, I wouldn't um, sort of get a bit, get lazy in generalizing because like the New York Times is reporting on notable stuff 
meaning okay. it's reporting on documents that are not apparently in wide circulation but are still significant. That that's where I got the – I mean there was one yet from last night. I don't know if you saw it. This is a New York Times article where they – apparently there was one document that um, fleshed out certain what uh, uh, so-called wild card scenarios that are possible in Ukraine. It's like Zelensky gets killed, Putin gets killed, et cetera. And one of the scenarios is that um, uh, even if Ukraine makes gains in a counteroffensive, they're, so they're basically like wargaming out different scenarios, right? And one of the scenarios was even if Ukraine makes certain gains in the forthcoming supposed counteroffensive, they're still going to be in enough of a sort of desperate position that they're going to resort to more and more brazen direct attack, direct long-range attacks on Russia namely on Moscow, and then that could bring, that could actually precipitate nuclear war, and it could get China more directly involved. I mean, you know, that's, um, the New York Times does, is reporting on that, um, and I, I think it's a bit maybe lazy to, to not acknowledge it. It's not like they're, you know, I didn't say they're not reporting on it. I'm yeah. saying that they, the reason that they don't. I'm not saying you're lazy, by the way. Substance. I'm saying it would be lazy to not acknowledge. Yeah. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, it. I think it's this dedication to not wanting to harm U.S. interests because being. I don't even think they would see it as allegiance to a security state necessarily. They probably think it's just being a good citizen to not, you know, do something that inconveniences the current policy. I. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's. I, it seems like that's the running theme between those kinds of reticences. I don't think it's just about allegiance to the security state, right? Because imagine if this was um, a whole bunch of classified materials that uh, unearthed stuff on Donald Trump. Do you think there would be the same reluctance? Let's even say they, even even during the Iraq War. I mean, if they had got you know uh, Dick Cheney and George Tenet on uh, you know the, the sort of trafficking in, in mistruths. I think they would very have they would have been uh, jumping up and down reporting it. I think part of it is the is allegiance to the national security. So that's kind of like just an overriding factor. But it's also like the particular sort of ideolog- ideological dimensions of this particular you know moment, let's say, in this this uh, right. set of issues, where you know supporting Ukraine was just like the it's just the default moral view i mean yeah maybe the intensity of the conformism around it is uh, somewhat uh, ebbed but still like if you're presenting putting out material that could be seen to jeopardize ukraine's counteroffensive that's seen as just this presumptively immoral thing to do whatever your journalistic imperatives i think that probably yes. more explains it yeah yeah it's a humanistic thing, I guess, in part, right? Um, then the uh, the other two points I had were that I'm not sure uh, if this matters or not, but I do see people calling this guy a whistleblower, and to me, he didn't. He's a leaker, but I don't know if I would go as far as even calling him a whistleblower, because to, to, if we're taking the story as uh, truthful, right? I'm you know just buy into the story at this point. Um, even the people around him say he's not a whistleblower and he specifically leaked it to a small group of people that he trusted and instructed them to keep it secret, which as naive as that was, the intent there is not to inform the wider public clearly, right? I mean, that's pretty clear to me. And Richard, you read that Washington Post article where they 
first sort of unveiled his preliminary identity and interviewed that friend of his, it didn't seem like he had some sort of principled uh, drive to, to, to get this out to the public. In fact, that's what he didn't want. Just somebody in the chat like posted it on a different channel yeah, and whatever. It's pretty, it's pretty pathetic. You read this story and it's like, you know, these, these just lonely guys sort of with not a lot going on in their lives. They get together and it's, you know, I liked, I like enjoyed reading about their politics. They sort of just like, you know, the guy is just believes in conspiracy theories, doesn't trust the government. All these guys feel the same way. They're gun enthusiasts. Um, yeah, but you know, there's, it was like, you know, they were looking for something in their personal lives and that's all he was doing. And they're still with the war. They're still higher motive. It's sort of sad. Like, you know, the guy was just trying to fuck a bunch of, uh, uh, like teenagers in some cases, just like, sort of just, like but but he actually but he, he he did I mean they did seem to have genuine friendships and I mean I, I can kind of relate to it because Discord was wasn't around when I was like you know an adolescent or a teenager or whatever but like I was on um you know forums where you would have like fairly small just um, social groups that you spent a lot of time with online and became you know fairly uh close to so I, I don't really discount that as being an authentic thing okay, okay. um yeah but, especially but, no, it's, not we're, sad that, it's not sad that they had friends it's it's sad that uh like he he was like he's gonna go to jail for life because he was he was clown. yeah but also then i mean on the on the question of like is he a whistleblower i mean clearly that term would not seem to apply so but also does it really matter i mean well, that's a good question if He's if if because of him the documents got put into the public domain, does it matter like what his intent was or if he had like, a virtuous uh, motive or if he could like give you a political manifesto as to why this had to be out there for public consumption? I just don't think it it, it matters all that much other than like, a semantic have, thing. It might. Do you think it might have legal ramifications that he wasn't seeking to publish anything? I mean, no. like, there's no publisher protection for leakers necessarily anyway, but like the people around him or something, you don't think it had any kind of legal ramifications? No, not not for, I mean, I, I don't think he could invoke any whistleblower protections leaker, to no. begin with. No, I mean, like Snowden wouldn't have been eligible for any whistleblower protections. I mean, they, they're, those are pretty um, narrowly delineated in that if you're uh, reporting internally malfeasance <clears throat> on like, whistleblower protections tend to be for like internal reporting of malfeasance within like say a government agency or something um i, I think that it also could extend to other potentially more public uh, manifestations of it but you know i i don't think it would apply to just yeah. putting a whole lot of stuff on some Discord. So I don't think that, like, because then, because it would be arbitrary. Like, what? So if he had some, like, you know, uh, articulate political justification for why he was doing it, he would then be entitled to whistleblower protections and, like, legal no, not immunity, him, but, but not somebody who just, like, does it because it's he's in some weird Discord uh, community and, like, there's these sort of inscrutable social dynamics that caused him to dangle that stuff over, like, the younger people he was mentoring there or whatever. No, I'm wondering about the people around him, too. If there's any kind of, I don't know, the law regarding handling classified information and all that, if you have any insight into that at all. Or if it's just complete... They're probably liable. I'm pretty sure that they're liable. I don't think so. Just looking at that no, yeah, and that's, that, that's the question I have. Is they're not they have liable. To, if they they're not liable unless, unless they, they can be accused. Them. Well, no, no, no. no. They, 
if they publish it, they're not liable. Right. That's protected speech. Yeah. Uh, that's protected, um, you know, no, First no, Amendment activity. They would be activity. liable if they publish it. You could be arrested for publishing uh, classified information. It happens. It, Even uh, if you, you didn't can't. obtain it? Yeah. Even if you, well, you can. Yeah, you it can. happens all the time. And the, the holder, went, the Justice Department went after this Fox News journalist. They went after, they go after journalists. They don't usually, as a matter of practice, uh, but they can. And no, then, but no, but people who who they go after in regard are people who aren't just being accused of possessing and reporting on the documents, but who were involved in the process whereby the documents were illegally extricated and disseminated. So. If your party, if like you're facilitating right. the illegal transmission of the of the documents, um, then you could have some culpability. But if you're just coming across a screenshot somewhere, and you had nothing to do with the emergence of that screenshot out of its classified uh, place of origin, then no, I there's no way you have legal liability. Because if so, then I have legal liability because I've Posted, you know, excerpts and stuff. And you, I, no, you're, 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 you do have legal liability, but they don't do it. They don't do it except in very rare cases. But they, if you have classified information and you report, if you are illegal, this is this was a big thing. Obama's war on the press. Remember this? Obama was always, uh, you know, prosecuting people for not just the leakers. I mean, that's easy. But they went after the journalists too. There was a Fox News guy, James. Well, I think James Risen was his name. James yeah. Risen. Uh, James Risen. You know, yeah. James Rosen, and and this case, you're right. He was. They think he was. Um, he might have. They, but no, they went after him. It was just for getting the information. So Richard, you're saying that they could but, go but after, but not publishing Assange. it. But they, well, these guys did it. These guys did it. They could go after no. uh, Assange, after. but not for publishing well, they it. They are going after. They are going after. Oh, Assange. I'm saying for, if, for but no, but Assange. Right. Hold on, I'm Assange. Didn't do that. Assange is not the 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 prosecution. Of Assange is not about him publishing. Publishing, uh, I mean, you're wrong. Publishing the no, hold on, hold on. Let me finish. It's not. A, it's not solely about him just publishing the materials. It's because he's alleged to have actively facilitated as a co-conspirator the um, pilfering of the material by Chelsea Manning. He like as an aider and a better of the extrication, not just that he published them. Correct, but there's. I'm saying he didn't do that. So what I'm saying is, in my world, where he didn't do that. Richard is saying they could still go after him for publishing. Here, I don't think that's true. That's what Richard's saying, though, right? Ro Khanna introduced a bill in 2020 would protect journalists from being prosecuted for publishing classified information. No, it doesn't. Yeah, because you can be prosecuted for publishing classified information. Now, it's not. It's a norm that they don't. And there's a big freak out when they do it. And that's why people are uncomfortable with the Assange thing. Because technically, you could do it, but people say, oh, you're not going after the New York Times or, or whatever. But so, they so they could. So they could. They, 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 you're saying that I'm, I'm subject to prosecution for posting a script, for yeah, posting and, an excerpt and, of one of the documents. Yes, and me and the New York Times and the Washington Post that all reveal classified information. Not even the document, just the information that's in the document. Uh, they could get you for, but they don't. They don't. See, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I don't know that that's settled case law or anything. Or, I, I mean, it's going to be an open question at the very least. Papers, you cannot. Now they cannot stop you. They can come in and like stop you from publishing beforehand, but they can't prosecute you. After the fact, um, uh, and these guys, well, these guys did. They, well, the guy who disclosed it, first of all, they could probably get him for that. But these for guys, sure. for, but these guys were like knowingly, like over the years, like constantly getting information. So they were they were on the receiving end of classified information, and they handled it and stored it. They yeah, exactly. It so if they, if they want to, I, 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 they probably like 
they probably won't do. I mean, they might give him a slap on the wrist. They might not prosecute them. They might seek their cooperation just to get this one guy. I don't know, but they do. Ha- I think they do have legal liability. I worry about that angle here because that could set a precedent in itself. You're saying they don't go after these cases. I'm assuming that's because they didn't want to set that precedent that you could go after publishers or someone like this, maybe. But it seems like this might be able to lead to that theoretically, at least. Yeah, well, maybe they don't go after these. Okay. So, so Richard, the James Risen thing again. This is this is what I thought. James Risen wasn't prosecuted for publish possessing or publishing the classified material. He was subpoenaed to turn over his source for the material, and he refused. And that's how he ended up going to prison to protect the source, just like Judith Miller did, etc. Not because he was legally culpable for possessing the classified material. Okay, so you, you go, go want me to send you this Rokana bill? Because Roca, the Rokana bill. Yeah, you send it. Uh, so here, I'm putting it in the chat. I really stirred it up. I mean, you, you could, there could be a, you could imagine a bill that sort of codifies some of these protections. Yeah. That, but, okay. you know. So Rokana's website says the legislation to amend the blah, 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 uh, Rokana and Rod Wyden. They crafted legislation to preserve the government's secrecy, blah, 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 blah. The espionage makes it a crime for anyone to share secrets, quote, relating to the national defense with people who are not authorized to hear them. The statute makes no exception for members of the press who abstain and who obtain and report classified information. But there is broad agreement among legal scholars that prosecuting a journalist for other things and publishing government secrets would violate the First Amendment. Well, there now, you go. <laughs> well, I mean, but no, that's not a camel. I mean, the First Amendment scholars say so, but no. But, like, there is... This is what, what do you think they're going after? Well, they had, he's saying, and, and Rokan is saying, let's legislatively codify what he's saying is a broad agreement among First Amendment scholars as to the impermissibility of prosecuting a journalist for that. Yeah, but they can't. But what do you think the Julian, what do you think the Julian Assange cage is? It, it's, it's, uh, well, again, I told you that the yeah, allegation yeah. is that Julian Assange was operationally involved in the leak itself. Like he, right. he, he was the, a co conspirator with Manning. In facilitating the leak, they're alleging yeah. he helped her stay anonymous or something, right? Well, no, no, not only yeah, that. It was that he was he was um like he was uh, uh, advising her as as to how to ah. obtain the material through the systems and so, so forth. Even more specific, yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's one of those cases where like you know law is a very you know it's a spectrum thing. I don't you know if it's not an if it, you know first amendment scholars, of course they. You know, they have views on the First Amendment. I, I'm not surprised they think that. But the, I think the point is, like, they tend to have discretion here. And they don't even try those cases because, like, you know, they have, again, prosecutorial discretion. Uh, so, like, they usually have to be, usually have to be something to really stop about them. And then they make a case. I mean, they, 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 you know, they make, a, they make a case as much as they can. Uh, but the point is, you know, they can, uh, you can't go after, you can't go after, you can try well, I mean, the, 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 but the, 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 the Espionage Act, the Espionage Act has I, never been used to, to, use, to prosecute a journalist, as far as I know. I mean, so. that's the bill. It's still the, the New York Times. I mean, if you wanted to make the case, if you wanted to get the New York Times, you could say, you know, they're going and they're talking to these kids uh, in this Discord group, White and Washington Post is too, and they're, you know, they're conspiring to get more information about this classified info and, like, where it came from and all that. So they're, they're active participants. I mean, you could make that argument. <laughs> well, you could, but that would be like a brand new, bizarre, you know, bizarrely punitive far. legal theory. It's not that. I mean, it's not that far off from the. the but it, it's never been done before. I mean, they've never invoked the Espionage Act for that. Purpose. This sounds like a time for a prediction, Richard. Could I could I get you to put a button on this and tell me what you think? How more fifty percent or lower odds that they do pursue anything in this 
angle for these guys. Like, say, not the weaker, obviously, but the server guys. I'm pretty sure they will pressure them to get them to cooperate against the other guy. Um, Right. And then maybe that will satisfy them. I think they'll they'll get them to plead to something. I think they have to bid the right. So I would say, you know, I don't know, 75% chance, 80% somebody gets conviction or uh, pleas uh, for something. Um, But not on a... Besides Sarah. So it's, but it, will it be novel, do you think, in terms of case law and prosecuting yeah, people for free be, speech? I mean, it'll be, I don't know, mishandling classified information. I mean, that's not that novel. I mean, that happens. I'd be willing to bet that they're not going to prosecute, like, random 15-year-olds on a Discord server who um, (laughs) clicked on a screenshot and, like, saved it to their desktop. I don't think uh, that's going to be prosecuted. The guy guy who uh, shared it in other groups, he's the one responsible for ultimately getting it to the rest of the world, right? No, it doesn't matter, but that doesn't matter. Like, that's like a... that's going to piss them off. But he didn't, but that guy didn't, that guy didn't extricate the material from the classified system. Uh, yeah, I know, but he's sharing it for he's sharing classified. Info. Look, if you get a but so am I. He broke the broke. So did you? He's the original guy who he's. Yeah, <laughs> I know. They could go out. They could go after us, but they don't because we're not very. You know, we're not like the, we're not the source of the information, right? So like. Well, neither was that guy. Who put it on the different channel. No, well, he well he sort of is. I mean, he's he's more. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't the source of, the of it. Of causation. Than he wasn't patient zero. He wasn't patient zero. He was like patient thirty. Yeah, it was no, but he was. The, but it would have stayed within the. I mean, the fact that it came a really the, 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 the crime had already been committed by the time he Richard, put it on the second server. Richard, do you think it would have stayed on there indefinitely? I mean, this guy. No, yeah. I don't. I don't think so. But I right. mean, what, that's right. the whole naivete of this guy being like, "Oh, come on, keep it secret." Yeah, it's like, not yeah, very, it's not very smart. Teenage, like teenagers. Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Yep. Can I move on to my last point? Really yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I took up time. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll make it really quick because I want to respect the other callers. Um, the, uh, Lloyd Austin, these leaks to me, uh, if they're true in the assessment, it seems to me the DOD, they, wasn't there a Washington Post article saying they think that there's going to be modest Ukra- uh, Ukrainian gains in the counteroffensive? Did I not see that? Yeah. And do you know what that's based on? Do you, did you see the details? Because I didn't see the details about what they're basing that on from the documents. But are they basing it off the documents? Uh, right? I, mean, I don't remember if I saw that one. I think that might be in the newer batch. But, yeah, they did say that like, the you know prognosis is that only modest so, gains are expected. But so th- yeah, I don't think that means on, a whole lot. But what I'm saying is Lloyd Austin went to Congress and he was asked under oath if – he thought there was a very a realistic chance that they would have success in their counteroffensive. And if you could listen to, you know, he he answered in the affirmative. He said that he it was one of those very weaselly answers. Did you see it? Um, when, when was this? I, you know, I have to find it. I should come more prepared for this stuff, but I can give you the. Well, I mean, you, you, got, you got to remember, just because somebody gets a um, a briefing book with the summa- summary of the latest uh, intelligence community findings on certain things. It doesn't mean they're bound them. to agree with it. Doesn't mean yeah. it. Doesn't mean it's. It, they could disagree with it. I mean, they, sure. You know. So I mean, I, I don't know that that's really. It, 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 if, if one group of people is getting one thing out of these documents, and the other, you know, who, why are we getting the U.S. said that they have low confidence? Who has low confidence, or who has who has these beliefs and modest gains? Apparently, not Lloyd Austin. So who he doesn't re- represent those views apparently, but he, that's what he represented to Congress. You know what? I, I wonder what was the projection in like August as to how effective the Kharkiv thing would be. 
Uh, like, I wonder if there's question. like a track record. Um, I, I, my, I would guess that they probably had a. I mean, I don't know. I'm total. This is a total guess, but if I had to guess, I would say they, they probably had like a similarly uh, I would restrained guess because uh, pro, uh, projection. They would have known Russia was weak there. If the U.S. has all the intelligence that they're claiming to, they, that basically, if you listen to people, they say that the reason they fell there was because they retreated because they were so weak there. And so they would have known that, and they went in hard, and they got a lot of ground. But now they're yeah. saying they're out of air defense, and that's I don't think that's a, such a static thing. There's a certain number that are produced and exist in the world at any given time, and you see the, Zelensky and other people talking specifically about air defense. and So they want to do a counteroffensive, when they say it's going to be out in April, they say that's right when they say they're going to launch a counteroffensive with no air defense so that the Russian Air Force can be effectively used against the counteroffensive. That doesn't make any sense. And now I'm hearing rumors that they're going to delay the counteroffensive. Well, so this doesn't to seem say. to jive at all. With what well, but remember, I mean, if this is the NS, this is NSA, right? That's summarizing something based on intercepts, where, whereas you have like General Milley in Austin who are actually doing tabletop exercises in Germany with the Ukrainian military yeah. brass. So they could like easily have a different perspective on things. I mean, that's sort of like the whole point here. Like, you're supposed to have like a, a, a variety of uh, perspectives that you, know, that you can kind of, you know, come to some sort of consensus on, you know, based on all like the, the, in, uh, well, you know, I, data, the data points that you collect. But I'd like to know what the, if the official true overall view is actually that, it will be a successful counteroffensive. Yep. And if it's not, because it doesn't make sense, they're saying they're out of, I mean, you said it yourself, they're renting, renting, the U.S. is renting half a million shells from South Korea to fill their stocks so they can supply them for this upcoming counteroffensive. They're doing everything they can. And so I don't know, it just doesn't jive with well, the official I mean, position. Uh, you know what? It's speculation. I know. Hard to say with any certainty one way or other. But Mark all right, thanks, words, Andrew. Tracy. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Jenny, hey. <laughs> I love hearing Andrew say that he wants to give everybody lots of time 30 minutes later. <laughs> hey, I, I, I can't blame him for rambling on uncontrollably. I know, he's I so smart. I love listening to him anyway. Love you, Andrew. So um, I have a niece and nephew who are adopted from Ukraine. They're both now adults, but they were in an orphanage. And uh, in Ukraine, they age the kids out when they're 15. Most of them end up on the streets working as prostitutes. So when my husband's sister and her family age the kids out of kids, orphanages, you're saying when they're 15. Yeah. Oh, so there's no like foster system. No, they're just okay. most of them are on the streets. So as I've watched my husband's sister and her family raise these two to adulthood and heard their stories. How old are they um, now? It's just been they're they're young adults. The the gal my my niece is married. She has a daughter. Like how old approximately? Uh, she's 25 and her brother's 23. Okay. I mean, I mean there's been a lot of uh, state capacity building in Ukraine relatively recently, usually funded by the U.S. So maybe it could, they could have something like a foster system within the past just now, since 2014 or whatever. But, you know, that's a side point. No, they definitely adopted them before the coup in 2014 and things were, you know, not well. And I don't know that they're any better. Maybe they are. But it's been interesting watching the war from those kids' perspective. Because at the beginning, they were just, you know, all in with all the propaganda, the ghost of Kiev and, you know, posting all kinds of stuff on their social media every time Ukraine had a win. But over this last year, and I put a link in the chat to an interview I did with my niece about a year ago here on Substack or here on Colin. And um, 
over the past year, their social media drops have changed, and they both come out openly heckling Joe Biden and his administration, which I just think is an interesting take on it, because they still have family back in Ukraine. They're in touch with people they grew up with as children. Heckling him, and heckling him over what? They've just become very cynical about the American role in this whole thing. and Because uh, it's not generous enough? It's not supportive enough? No, no, just the opposite. They think they've ginned up the war and that it's, you know, just been a mess. Okay, because, like, I've heard even among um, Ukrainian officials and so forth and yeah, think tank people, you can sometimes hear consternation that they grumble about the U.S. not sort of living up to its rhetoric and, you know, going all out in the kind of, uh, you know, balls to the wall support that you'd expect if they really thought that, you know, democracy was on the line or whatever. Yeah, no, it's just the opposite. It's just like, leave our people alone, get out of Ukraine, you know, what are you doing? And so uh, it's just been interesting to watch it again from her perspective. Uh, I put a couple links in the chat about uh, Ukrainian bio labs. There's some dopus in there heckling me saying I'm not providing evidence. I put in like four or five links for people who wanted to check them out. Victoria Newland herself agreed there are U.S. funded bio labs in Ukraine. Anyway, uh, for the first time, RFK Jr., starting his kickoff speech at Hillsdale College this past week. He's running for president on his He's own kicking campaign. off, he kicked off his campaign at Hillsdale College. Isn't that funny? Okay. Yeah, so he's up there with all those conservatives and he um Is he running in the Republican primary or the Democrat? No, primary? he's running as a Democrat. I'm sorry, he doesn't have a voice. Like I know that might sound superficial for me to but like that's like you need to be able to speak, I think as a candidate almost, and like I almost think it's a blessing Michael because you have to listen to him so closely that you do kind of lean in and like, what is he actually saying? It's hard to listen, I, I admit, but this speech was excellent. I put a link where he mentioned for the first time in, that I've seen, he's mentioned these biolabs being funded by American interests, the D Department of Defense. So I, let, me, let me just, uh, I, I have to mention this. It's sort of a, a non sequitur, but uh, Richard, listen to this. You'll love this. Okay, so I, I happened to come across a uh, report that was uh, authored uh, re by this uh, LGBT organization in Ukraine. It's called the LGBT Situation in Ukraine. It's like just their main sort of LGBT organization. Of course, it's funded in part by the U.S. Embassy um, and the German Marshall Fund and whatever. But here's, uh, here's one of the uh, findings, okay, um, in terms of how they just uh, summarized the past year. It was like, the year, it was like a, a year on from the war beginning. Um, Here's what they say. Never before have the Ukrainian presence and sympathy for our country manifested itself so vividly at the pride marches that took place throughout the world in 2022. The world pride movement has united in its support for Ukraine and condemnation of Russian aggression. And they actually go through data where there's fairly strong evidence that since the war started, at attitudes toward LGBT have gotten much more favorable. The... Um, the uh, religion consortium of like uh, conservative religious groups have lost influence. Um, uh, legislation around LGBT stuff is like sort of gaining momentum, and uh, part of this is like a function of the war, which is uh, pretty interesting. I'll I'll send it to you if you're yeah, yeah do that. I want to read that. That's uh, interesting. And this is sort of a human psychology thing where like they mean like these people have sort of memed this into like Russia being this defender of Western civilization. These people like Jackson Hinkle and like even these other, these conservative uh, thickness. 
Uh, so I'm not surprised that Ukraine would be uh, would become more LGBT. Well, yeah, and because they've and the I mean the war has basically um, ostracized or stamped out the sort of conservative Russian element of Ukrainian society that would have been more socially conservative. Um, they're they're irrelevant now, um, and that's a byproduct of the war. So like if you're looking to sort of expand your Western civilization value, like your they're traditional actually, values, they they've actually been but, you know. They've actually been stamped out in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Biden and Blinken were right, is what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Janie. Go ahead. No worries. I uh, I just wanted to highlight the biolabs because it's something I've talked about a lot in my own work. And um, I watched a documentary last month that was quite horrifying, done by a Ukrainian. And it was translated into English. And it just um, it outlined how the human trafficking works there with the kids and how they they literally grab girls off the streets impregnate them and then do what they want with these babies many times they're sold other times they're just used for prostitution and then once they age out of the prostitution they're cut up for parts they they sell their organs and as i watched this documentary and thought about my niece and nephew and just you know realized the horror that they've probably been saved from um it's just really brought it home that that these things that have been funded, especially by US, U.S. taxpayer dollars, and this is a fact. I mean, this is what's truly coming out about um, how deep we are with this whole gain of function stuff. And it, it's Kennedy himself who's who's been the, what I perceive to be the largest voice on this topic, uh, pointing that it's not a China virus; it's a U.S. funded virus that came through these labs in Ukraine and Wuhan and other places around the world, and that we really need to wrap our heads around the idea that this biological warfare stemmed from the United States. That, that's the side of it that I, I would like to see more exposed. Yeah, Richard, um, well, I mean, did you see the, happen to see what I tweeted earlier today um, as to public opinion on China? There was a, new, there was a poll that came out was just a gauging uh, attitude towards China. Towards China. Yeah, uh, you you guessed right. Um, well done. Thank you. Uh, and I and you obviously see a huge uh, shift uh, just ahead of COVID, um, especially among Republicans. But here's my um, here's my favorite part of it. Hold on, um, this is Pew. Here's a, a finding: conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats are the most concerned about China's human rights policies. So the, the, the demographic, like among you know, conservative, moderate, liberal, whatever, Democrat versus Republican, the most concerned about the human rights by their own telling, conservative Republicans. So in this one instance, the, we're supposed to believe that because they're mad about the China virus or whatever, they actually have a sincere commitment to fostering human rights and they're gonna you know join an Your ngo view that mike pompeo is not a committed champion of human rights and that's not what motivates him and what gets him up in the morning <laughs> well i think if he were uh if he were polled he would probably say that he's into human rights i'm sure he would say yeah it's his number one issue it's the it's the nazi germany of our of our time uh but democrats are not into the human rights thing i'm surprised no they are they i mean well it's uh 57 percent of Republicans, conservative Republicans, say that they're more concerned about China's human rights violations, and then 53% of liberal Democrats. The moderates are the least concerned about it. 
Yeah, that, that makes sense. That is kind of ironic. But uh, 83% negative view of uh, China as of 2023. And uh, as recently as 20, uh, 2017, it was even. Huh. Um, well, if you want me to end on a funny note, Babylon B headline, Pentagon leaker kicking himself for not just leaving classified documents strewn around his garage. Uh, well... That's not funny. I mean, every like every fifty or so <laughs> tweets, they're like mildly amusing. Well, I mean, you know why I don't find that funny? Because they always have to figure out a way to shoehorn it into some like partisan, uh, uh, you know, yeah, uh, little quip agree, against like, Democrats. I was laughing at you saying it's not funny. I thought that was funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh yeah, Joe Biden had the documents in his garage. I mean, who cares? All right, thanks, Jenny. Um, pseudonymous. Pseudonym. Are you there? Hi, how are you? Hey. Um, so the, the perception I got listening to um, anal analysis about the um, leak in recent days was um, definitely that it had come from like the circle around the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, I don't know if you had the the same impression uh, listening to people in recent days, but um, uh, I, I'm just like perplexed that uh, a guy who's 21 in Massachusetts who works for the National Guard uh, would have a need to know about like closely held uh, secrets seemingly about, you know, casualty ratios and things. Um, and that was actually like the one thing that like, there was the most insistent pushback on, I, I perceived, in terms of um, uh, the American and, and I think also British media coverage, is that everyone claimed that that number had been doctored, that th that, wasn't, that wasn't really true. Um, and, um, but if you listen to a lot of uh, outside analysts, um, I mean, like people like Ritter and McGregor and claiming that, the, you know, that these ratios are um, true for, you know, many months. Um, so like having official confirmation of that kind of, uh, seems to hoist the official narrative by its own petard in terms of like state documents. Right. Um, and I think that was the significance of the leak. Um, sorry, I'm kind of, so are, you, are, you, are you saying that because you don't find it plausible that he, because he's 21, I'm not sure how, that's relevant, but for whatever reason, you don't well, think it's plausible that he would have had a need to know. If, if they're talking, so, so, so like, what's the? You would expect you would expect it to be the senior people who have access to it. I would think. Well, no, I mean that's that's sort of like a misconception about the these classified networks. They're much, they have there's much wider access than you might expect, given like the supposed seriousness with which they stamp the, t the words top secret on the documents. Um, but isn't it based on like operational need to know more? And like, why would, why would a guy in Massachusetts have a need to know about the ca overall casualty assessments? Well, he, he um, might, not, he might not have had to obtain a need to know. I mean, because he's like a network manager. I mean, he runs the IT of the intelligence unit that he's in. Maybe he sort of he gained sort of somewhat unauthorized access to it. Sorry. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get why it would be distributed. 
They're, they're daily briefing books. The, 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 the first batch, I, I don't know, I think there might be other sort of batches now, but the first batch did seem to derive from like one of these, uh, I think it's weekly maybe, um, collections of uh, intelligence assessments that are then uh, tailored for the joint, uh, joint chiefs or maybe his, his office or somebody. Um, Right, that's a, I mean, a point that a lot of people were emphasizing, and it made it sound like the information had come from like the heart of the Pentagon. Um, and that there but, was, there, but there are theoretically like thousands of people who have access to this. Pentagon. That was my perception. But, but there, now, I don't know. I mean, like the, I, I was list, I listened earlier today to the Duran's coverage, and also to Colonel McGregor was on with Judge Napolitano again, and um, they were discussing this, of course, and. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of suspect uh, I can't prove it, obviously, but like I think the I think the framing also, too, with like the leading leading coverage from like the Washington Post and CNN and stuff that that statement that CNN aired with the with the blank silhouette guy. Um, I just I, I mean, McGregor commented on that. He said it thought it raised a number of red flags. I, I sort of agreed. With, I would. Agree so what's the what's the what's the rub of your suspicion? Like, what do you think is not? So I think I mean I think it might here. be uh, I, I would I would at least entertain the scenario that uh, you know we know that the government in the past has framed patsies and that people with power you know find it convenient to do this under certain circumstances. Um, so I mean it could be a kind of counterintelligence scenario. Um, and we could be dealing with um, a patsy, you know, it's just... Um, but a patsy for what? Like, what's, idea, what's to be gained? Um, what the Duran was suggesting, what Alexander McCurris was suggesting, was that um, Washington needs an exit from, uh, from Ukraine and the Biden administration is too locked in. So people inside the Pentagon are doing whatever they can in order to force the political situation in a way that would, um, you know, uh, transform the political decision-making. Um, I, I think, so that, I think that's bullshit. I mean, because there's, so that, that would go against this idea that it was leaked for the purpose of somehow, Casting aspersion on Russia, or you know, uh, showing the ineptitude of Russia, because you, if you wanted a, if they wanted a way out, then wouldn't they want to make Russia out to be more formidable? Uh, because you know, a bunch of these things have to do with, um, you know, just how deeply penetrated Russian um, systems apparently are by the U.S. Um, surveillance oh, and. Mean, but that, that so if we can't actually do it, why should we go ahead? You're 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 breaking up a little bit. It is my is I mean I, I I don't know I mean I think it's about um, it's about that and I think I think it is a much more high level um, thing in terms of uh, uh, dissent and disobedience within. Um, 
the American military establishment, perhaps. I mean, this is all wishful thinking. I mean, this is what I, yeah, I, I just I don't think there's really, I don't think there's any good reason to suppose that. I mean, I would be open to it if it seemed like there were any evidence pointing in that direction. I just don't think there is. I mean, what, what would there to be gained by it being disclosed that the U.S. is spying on South Korea? Like, um, to the point that the South Korean opposition party has made a scandal out of it. And it's like, you know, it's a huge controversy right now in South Korea. It maybe is even somewhat, uh, uh, you know, imperiling the, the U.S.-South Korea relationship. Like, how, did, how does that serve anybody's particular interest here? I mean, I think, you know, frankly, a lot of people who are just um, commentating on this kind of stuff, they want to believe that there's some sort of deeper sort of coordination or deeper uh, sort of explanatory sort of element here that um, gets to some kind of more, more, more fundamental uh, sinister sort of, you know, uh, ex, uh, theory or uh, well, driver. Well, but I, I just don't see that. Well, that word, that word coordination, it re- reminds me again that, um, uh, never mind. Um, but uh, I was, um, uh, and, all, and one other point on that, because, you know, I, I had um, I haven't uh, I have about 55 of them or so, mostly from the first sort of round that came out. Um, these are authentic classified documents that go through a whole array of different issues. Um, and if you had just been presented with them, not knowing that they came from a leak or where, the, where really you wouldn't you wouldn't have any inclination to think that there's some kind of. Uh, easily discernible motive as to why they would have been surreptitiously distributed to achieve some kind of uh, strategic or ta- political um, objective. Uh, that's just something that gets kind of grafted onto it by, I think, uh, a certain type of person who wants to appeal to some more overarching kind of, uh, uh, you know, totalizing theory as to this sort of fundamentally being down to some kind of, uh, you know, cabal that wants to, you know, uh, you know, get their way or something. I, I just don't see it. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I guess I, I would say I, uh, fundamentally disagree. Um, the, disagree with what? Um, well, I mean, I actually do think there is a lot of coordinated activity at high levels. Um, well, I'm not saying there's not. And, I just don't think there's no evidence really for it here as to how the leak emerged. Um, well, I, no, I mean, I, my evidence would be, I mean, I would try to review the coverage in recent days. I do, I do think the perception I expressed earlier um, that there was the, a perception that there was a... Um, a perception of disloyalty at at the top of the Pentagon, um, not necessarily Lloyd Austin, but like, and and it didn't even actually be like one Joint Chiefs or something necessarily. Um, it could be someone who's like uh, handling the paper flow around them, you know. So it could be like a lower level clerk, but who one one who would be in like in the heart of the Pentagon. That was that was the perception I got from the way it was being discussed in the last couple of days. So, um, uh, okay. But like, but, but uh, what's the, why does it matter really? Because isn't the more important thing, the authenticity of the documents, 
So no, even, I mean, if there I, is, even if there is some sort of, you know, uh, harebrained motive behind it that's got coordinated by some disaffected Pentagon person, which there's no evidence for, but let's say that, that, that happened. Okay. I mean, what bearing does it have on the contents of the material? Um, well, um, I think trying to understand the, the politics of, um, you know, sort of different factions struggling for power over the direction of American foreign policy and military commitments and in Washington is what's really at stake in the question because um, like uh, the thing is, is that our politics seem increasingly locked in to this new cold war um, paradigm um, in which we're seemingly locked into a collision course with China uh, that's aligning itself with Russia and they have various ancillary partners including possibly like Mexico on our border. Um, and, you know, so um, like the idea that it's in our interest to have such an aggressive, um, an aggressive confrontational um, attitude towards these other countries. And in particular, China, I think is the most salient, the most salient case. I mean, right now the the, the situation with, Russia is obviously hotter, but I think the way things are lining up with China, um, we can't actually win a, a war with all these countries. So but, this, I, but I don't see how this. I don't see how these leaks lessen. I don't see how these leaks um, dampen those tensions at all with Russia and China. If anything, you could make a case that probably does the opposite because. It's a, pro a further provocation of, of Russia in particular to um, not, well, to, to, to show it's how thoroughly leader. the U.S. has uh, penetrated their, their military hierarchy uh, to the point where they're getting this extremely granular surveillance on, on people. But it I mean, the how does that like it, how does that reduce any tensions? I mean, it, it, it shifts the power balance in a direction that's favorable to Russia. Um, Does it? And yeah, by by, I mean potentially, um, um, what what you were just describing. I mean, I think that 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 would if it if it would compromise our capabilities. Um, yes, and um, that actually, I mean, so if we if we if we were forced to retreat by the material reality, you know, and being forced to recognize that we just don't. We, we can't prevail in a war against Russia and Ukraine or against China over Taiwan. And we can only destroy these places and come very, very close to destroying all civilization in a, a nuclear war. Because um, that's, that's obviously a very live scenario as soon as you're talking about these kind of managed proxy battles um, where we're almost you know, directly engaging. And in some in some philosophical sense, I think we are sort of directly at war. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I see what you're saying. I just don't see any. I mean, is there any reason to believe since the leaks have come out that there's been some movement toward a, a recognition of the futility of the American posture toward Russia and China? And it's like the leaks have somehow accelerated this uh, 
no, detente no, I mean, or something. I just don't see that no. at all. I mean, don't think no, that, no, I don't I see mean, that as I, the impact. I'm, no, I mean, I think it's I think it's a desperate measure, Michael. I, I'm. It doesn't make me hopeful yeah. in the slightest. Um, I yeah. I mean, I think. Um, our, I think I think we're fucked. I mean, I, I think our politicians are really locked in to an attitude that's going to ruin the country and um, quite possibly destroy the entire world. So, also, I, I mean, it does it make sense that a disaffected Pentagon person or a group of Pentagon people, whoever was like the you know ultimate source of this, that as you might be speculating, that they would have like arranged it so the images would just be sitting on this twenty-person Discord channel for a month. And then only when, like, some teenager in Britain decides to post some of the images in some other Discord server, that's how they get out. Like, that's really, that's how the plan will be orchestrated? I, I mean, used, I think, I think I people want to, people want to sort of, uh, people want to, people want to reach for these more, um, satisfying explanations that get to some more grander, uh, ex, uh, you know, reasoning behind it when, because, like, the reality, at least in terms of what the evidence shows right now, is that it's something kind of very banal and, uh, not does that make- salacious. Um, I mean, the guy doesn't seem to have, the guy seemed to be sort of apolitical and it was just to do with, you know, well, but if it's, some if it's social dynamic he had with his uh, friends. Michael, it doesn't make any sense to leak high level, uh, documents in this way. So that's one of the reasons to suspect it might actually be a counterintelligence setup because it doesn't make sense in terms of motive. You know, it doesn't add up. Um, and, um, in that respect, um, uh, I've never used Discord, so I I was struck uh, listening to the CNN blank silhouette spiel today. Um, that was Washington that, Post, I think. Yeah, but they probably played it on CNN. Uh, yeah, the guy the guy described the the leaker as being charismatic. On it doesn't make sense to describe people on Discord as being charismatic. I mean, well, yeah, because you can also have you can have uh, audio chats, you can have video chats, it's, and then also it's just like a okay, running okay. text chat. Yeah, I, I just don't know the medium, so I was just curious. It struck me. Um, yeah, I've used but, it. I mean, uh, sometimes people who sometimes it's like these weird Twitch streamers when they want me to come on their show, it's over tw- uh, Discord that you get connected, and I'm on it and whatever. Yeah, but uh, yeah, don't don't bother if you're not a. Uh, if you're not in some blinkered gamer culture. All right. Thanks, pseudonym. Okay. Take care. Uh, Gator. Hey, Michael. How's it going? Hanging in there, as always. Cool. Um, look, the way I look at these docs is essentially what do they enable, right? That's the fastest way of getting through everything I could sort of prattle on about. As far as I can tell, this is what I'm expecting. Narrative is going to be Ukraine, we did everything we could for that burgeoning star of Eastern European democracy. We put in all the weapons, we put in all the money, we paid for the state support. They wouldn't tactically listen to us. They fought as hard as they could, but they weren't that good. They crossed some red lines. They did some stupid attacks we didn't agree with. They did Nord Stream. We told them not to. And still we're in this situation where we are running out of weapons we probably can't get enough in time, and the credibility of what remains of the Ukrainian administration has evaporated. So we're going to have to concede that negotiated settlement is probably the best thing. That's the narrative that comes out of these documents, as far as I can tell. It doesn't matter what the real detail is, right? Okay, so 
there is there is a really toxic um dismissal of global spying i mean if people really think about what they're doing to their own mind when they go yeah we know everyone spies on everyone that is toxic but it's been normalized but i'll move on from that um and when you look at the kind of force projection stuff so uh, a quick go on gator i mean I've, i'm i agree in that i just think it's amazing that people don't just intuitively see the irony in on on the one hand lavishing a particular official with praise as this you know trailblazer for all that is good in the world and you know the fate of humanity and democracy and everything else rests on his shoulders while on the other hand you're surveilling his private communications like yeah. I, this, this idea that oh it's just normal everybody does it and therefore, there's nothing worth remarking upon. I think is insane. Like, if I were to tell you, Gator, that like I I trust you. I think you're such a good guy. I think I have such confidence in you. But oh, by the way, I'm surreptitiously gathering all your um, confidential communications. I think you you'd probably immediately get the um, the the discrepancy there in my rhetoric toward you. Of of course, but and and the problem the problem what we know we always know is that the U.S. is never about allies, is it? That's what's that statement? If you think that you're an ally of the United States, you're a fucking idiot, basically. I mean, this is terrible paraphrasing, but you're not an ally, and the ally of the U.S. is what gets treated the worst, right? Um, and that I mean, but we all, well, I'm not we sure all about know. that. I mean, is the U.S. spying on? Um the UK or is it spying on yeah, because uh, but you know that we know that the con- the construct of the spying network just within the western alliance or is 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 facilitated by bypassing law by outsourcing each other's spying so the UK spies on the US so that the CIA can access that mat- the NSA and the CIA can access that material because they didn't do it themselves on their own people and that works all the way around the globe across the AUKUS five eyes construct right that's we know that that's the mechanism that's how you bypass your own law right but obviously if it comes to your own um you know kg proxy of course you're going to spy on him but the thing but the thing is that you know yes you are going to spy on him but we are also normalizing the thing the stasi did that we don't like the stasi having ever done and we don't like the thing that the fsb would do to anyone but we do it right i mean that there's a it's a crop to normalize any of this and say it's all okay well, yeah and on, on your on your first point gator are you suggesting that because you see the impact of this being that there's going to be this burgeoning recognition that the whole thing is futile and um, therefore, we have to, you know, begrudgingly um, uh, just uh, change course and introduce a negotiated settlement. Do you think because you think that could be the impact that that explains somehow the origin of this? Like that was the motive of whoever brought it about? Because I don't, I don't see, I just don't see any evidence for that. Like that's, so, I know I'm a stickler for evidence, but like it's kind of helpful. To yeah, just okay. cut through some of the muck yeah, of sure. the speculation. So, and... so, I, so fundamentally, this is a reverse ferret. This is the reverse ferret channel, right? Because the war was never about being won. It was about washing all the cash, bleeding Russia for a while, following that strategy until you realize, okay, we're not going to win this. Let's get out, right? Now we initiate the reverse ferret. Now, the question is, is, it, is this actually completely managed and created 
and therefore we are literally watching an illusory narrative spun before our eyes? Or is it political opportunism of certain circumstances right now? I don't know the answer, but I'm going to put something out. It is now publicly access, uh, accepted by judges even that the MO of the FBI in domestic terror plots is to find a criminal and pressurize them to find a patsy and then deliver a plan that you fomented, funded, created and forced onto the patsy. And just when the patsy is about to finally press the button after shit tons of pressure, you step in and arrest him. And the, the FBI has executed that plan and continues to execute that plan and domestic terror threats to the tune of 300 prosecutions or more, right? Now imagine doing that MO inside the Intel world, right? So basically you're looking at a skiff and in there is a guy, 21, and you work out, hmm, he's a, he's a bit of a weirdo. Good, right, let's start setting him up. Right, now let's, let's and you can, you could manip, you could either wait to see if he's got any compromise will to be compromised or ability to be compromised and then you start enabling his his compromise right now he might start leaking a little thing and you go ah, okay he has done it now right great now let's just give him access to a big dossier and just see what he does with it you could theoretically pull that off and you could therefore narratively spin something up out of nowhere it would be a very similar mo i'm not saying it's done i'm just saying Let's think about what could be humanly possible, right? It doesn't really matter though, because what matters is how the end result got used. And I believe that this is the reverse ferret. And and, we, and, and then the other clock I'd run it against is this. The amount of allocated money is 110 billion. And I think that we're about 60 odd billion into it, burning through it about 2.5 billion every three-ish weeks. That gives you about three to five months, depending with a bit of flex, until that money's gone, until the ruling elite have washed it all through Ukraine. That gives you about September. So I reckon this will be done in a negotiation around that time when all the money's gone and you've got China and Russia going, yeah, we've got enough and we can get the deal we want. Let's go to the table. Yeah, I, I don't really buy it. I mean, so oh, I just pulled up a document that I have in front of me, okay? And it's just, I yeah. just picked a random one. Israel pathways to providing lethal aid to Ukraine. There are four scenarios that are sketched out here as to, you know, different routes by yeah. which Israel could end up providing lethal aid to Ukraine. One of them is Russia expands strategic assistance to Iran. Uh, Jerusalem adopts Turkish model for Ukraine aid. Uh, Israel expands outreach to the U.S. for counter-Iran operations and expanded adversary air defense presence and use in Syria. I, I, it's like I don't see like anything to read into this as suggesting some kind of deeper motive that is so like far-sighted in its strategic logic as you are postulating. And it also doesn't make sense to me on, a, on another level. So you're saying that because that there are, you know, so there's a, a bunch of these leaks that if anything, sort of reinforce U.S. primacy, given how comprehensively it seems to have penetrated every kind of Russian governmental uh, system. Yeah. Um, but so that, you know, kind of, if anything, uh, reinforces the status quo. But, yeah, there's other stuff that probably is um, – or definitely is embarrassing to the U.S. and shows the sort of um, – the uh, the dichotomy between the highfalutin public rhetoric around the mm -hmm. cause of Ukraine and what they're saying in privately, saying in private, uh, yeah. But the, it, it's a 
melange of different things here that you could then sort of uh, extrapolate out into some more cohesive narrative as to what the the motive could be. And you know, I, just think about it. Think about this. So you're saying that the U.S. is going to all of a sudden decide, oh, forget everything we said for the past uh, 14 months. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't care about territorial integrity anymore. We don't care about the rules-based international order at, uh, anymore. We're, we're going to renege on that because of some documents that maybe uh, caused us to have to apologize to, you know, South Korea. And we're going to uh, just capitulate to Russia, who we've been casting as this great menace. And, oh, by the way, if you've uh, listened to the logic of the how the conflict's being framed, that also is a de facto capitulation to China now. Um, by the way, one of these leaks, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, is that um, it's an exposure of one of the intercepts that apparently the U.S. claims that, you know, recorded as having gotten from Russia that mm-hmm. uh, where China actually did pledge to provide lethal aid to Russia for use of Ukraine, but they were doing it, going to do it incrementally. So the source was not a U.S. intercept, but it was a U.S. intercept of a Russian, yeah. some Russian material that apparently indicated that. I don't know. You know who, who knows if it's true? Um, so you know, all, all of a sudden, the U.S. is going to uh, just neuter itself in the face of this, you know, axis of evil t- uh, tandem that they've been telling everybody to be so extremely fearful of and um, allow Russia to just prevail and then... Uh, by extension, allow China to prevail. I mean, I, I thought the whole idea of why uh, Ukraine had to be enabled to uh, be victorious is that uh, if 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 not, she would get the wrong message and be emboldened to invade Taiwan. So now, what now? Yeah. They're going to wave the wed, fr- wed frag and then just wait around for she to invade Taiwan again, going by their stated logic. I mean, it just doesn't really add up to me. Okay, uh, but I think you- it's I think it's wishful thinking for people who might want to see that outcome. Well, okay, um, but so, so, so based on what you've just said, right, okay, um, do you believe that the West can militarily win the Ukraine war? Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I don't have any hard beliefs about what could be done militarily. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like people should be a bit more humble. I, 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 I don't know if it was – I don't know about you particularly – but like people in this very calling would have said that there's no way that the Kharkiv offensive could have happened or there's no way that Russia would not make like a huge advance by such and such point. I mean, how can you predict any of this? I don't know. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, there's all I can do is evaluate what, what, the, what is the sort of inertia of what is the trajectory well, of the policy right now? The policy okay, now is yeah, just yeah, for yeah. perpetual think- conflict. I think what I asked is reasonable, and there's a way of analysing it in some sense, right? What do you mean? So by, first, what do you mean by victory? What do you mean by military? Uh, yeah. So, can you militarily win this? Because because Russia, because America has said we're fighting this to win this war in that territory, right? We're pushing back Russia out of Ukraine. That is the that is the stated goal of the war, right? So, the military win on that is to achieve something like it, right? And any negotiated settlement is a compromise by, def- by default, right? If you leave Russia with any of the territory, you have by default compromised, right? So it's not an outright military win. So it's a question of how you describe that situation if that's what comes around. So my argument is this, what you're looking at 
is a war that pits the US and 50 allies in, in either whole or in part against Russia and Iran with tacit backing, but, but lacking direct invent intervention by China. Add those military budgets together. On the West side, you get a military budget on a yearly basis of over a trillion dollars. The Russia plus Iran gets you to about 65 billion, right? That's literally what we're talking about. You're ratioing, it's something like 14 to one, right? And Russia is holding that off. On a military basis, that's remarkable, right? Because nobody can use nuclear weapons. So you can't, so you're looking at an advantage that's run on territorial uh, tactics, aren't you? And one of the things Ritter has always pointed out, and McGregor, is we forgot how to prosecute large-scale maneuver-based warfare because we've spent 25 years doing something else. Russia didn't. And, and if you read even the RAND reports about Russia's combat effectiveness in tank battalion groups, it describes fairly accurately what they do. Long-range artillery, go in with tanks, reinforce at the break, not reinforce at the weak point. Right? That's a basic thing. We don't do that. And we're showing ourselves that even all of these 50 nations, all of the surrounding NATO, cannot put enough hardware in because, A, they don't have enough hardware, and B, they don't actually have the legal justification to invade Ukraine themselves as NATO. Because that Well, they, they do, actually. <laughs> they're just choosing not to. I mean, if they're, if they're saying that the UN Charter legally authorizes coming to the aid of Ukraine in terms of self-defense, then that could, you know, legally justify if you're going to use international law as your barometer, that could justify a full, you know, incursion. But, but, into, but it's not a nation. But, but here's the point. But here's, here, here's, my operating, here's my operating assumption, right? Um, number one, you're saying they don't have enough uh, material to provide Ukraine with a sufficient arsenal. Well, they're mobilizing. I mean, the U.S. is in the early stages. It only really began in earnest starting late last year of mobilizing its defense industrial sector for vastly increased production with an eye toward both uh, the Pacific and European theaters. Um, so that's a long-term uh, prognosis. That's something that kind of gives you the impression that they're settling in for the long run here um, because a lot of these, you know, uh, a lot of these production lines and so forth are being set up with the understanding that they're not going to reach their full capacity for, um, you know, uh, a year or even more, two years or something like that. I mean, I sort of liken it. Uh, it's a shame that so many people have cheapened these uh, cheapened World War II analogies, but people may, might, might, might not know. In 1939, like when World War II started in earnest, the U.S. had not even really begun to mobilize its defense industrial sector. It was only in, only, uh, in 1943 yeah. that you reached the peak uh, production capacity. And, you know, we're only at month like four or five of it even being initiated here. Um, but in terms of what the, the strategic goal is, like what's the victory, I think what Neil Ferguson wrote in his Bloomberg column in March of 2022 is probably still what it's rational to assume is the uh, basic calculus. 
Um, I don't know if you remember that, but here's he quoted a senior administration official anonymously, senior Biden official anonymously saying, Mm -hmm. quote, um, the only end game now. This is March of 2022. Right. The only end game now is the end of the Putin regime. Until then, all the time Putin stays, Russia will be a prize state and will never be welcomed back into the community of nations, blah, 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 blah. Um, But basically, what's what's victory then? Well, the ultimate achievement of victory isn't just about, you know, expelling all Russian troops from uh, Ukrainian territory. That's almost like a secondary objective, at least from the U.S. standpoint. It's about ultimately, you know, bleeding Russia. I mean, this is where the bleeding Russia dry phrase came from, because he quoted another official saying that it was actually a British official. Um, You know, in the year that's. Uh, in the year that's elapsed since he first put out that column where he's saying, look, he was in at some function where there was there were these officials saying that the strategy is leave Russia dry and foster regime change in, in Russia eventually by protracting the war. That, that makes sense because you wouldn't expect if that were the actual goal, meaning sort of you know, gradually depreciate Russia's state capacity – to the point that that there's some opening to effectuate regime change, you wouldn't expect a kind of dramatic, you know, a D-Day style surge into Ukraine, right? It would be more uh, subtle than that. It would be more incremental. It would be just as we've seen it sort of progress, you know, uh, you know uh, building escalatory moves that are kind of almost um, imperceptible to people because. They are just done through these occasional uh, aid packages. And, like, it's not some dramatic culmination. Um, but you're, what are you doing? Well, all the while, you're bleeding Russia's uh, resources. Now, I think that if uh, China actually is, as it seems possible, maybe even likely, actually is going to be uh, providing a, um, a buffer so that Russia won't be bled dry because they have this other superpower backstopping them, then that complicates that whole initial plan that the Biden Biden officials were talking about because um, it it almost, uh, the the, the premise is undermined if uh, Russia, or if uh, Russia is able to be buoyed by by China. They hadn't even anticipated that as a possibility back when that was being sort of uh, set out as the the objective. Even even in, I just remember now, even in this... um, Bloomberg article, the Biden administration official who's bragging to Neil Ferguson says uh, uh, China has made a huge error in thinking Putin will get away with it. Seeing Russia get cut off is not a good vector, and we'll have to reevaluate the Sino-Russia axis. So, like they're 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 making the you know the smug, unsubstantiated assumption that somehow uh, the bleed Russia dry policy is going to end up. Uh, separating Russia from China when it seems like it's the opposite. So maybe all bets are off at this point. Uh, but uh, I still don't think I, – I think that's good. that just gives additional impetus for why the U.S. is not just going to suddenly capitulate because it means they're capitulating to China too. And then the whole kind of um, – the whole uh, working theory behind their, the, the, their policy uh, posture and is um, – is kind of just negated. I, I don't see that being something that they're going to 
um, be able to countenance. Okay, but but a lot of what you're saying kind of requires. Well, actually, what I will happily recognize is that um, the U.S. has won a lot from Ukraine already because it's re-engineered its relationship uh, economically with e the EU. It has tested and and burnt through stuff resources uh, of Russia, and it's tested the entire strategic environment as a result of that, which is a lot of the kind of sort of strategic. Um, you know, potential view that was that was partially laid out by Rand, right? Before they changed their mind and said uh, we need to get out of this because this is going on long too long here is going to be a bad idea, right? Now, and they've now also got an unassailable, you know, fully by consensus behind mass defense spending. It's not even a issue that anybody yeah, contests yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly, right. So, so in a war economy, and uh, uh, you know, and the ruling elite's cash flow, they've secured that, right? So there's a win there. Now, the the question is. What are they trying to do in the future? Well, according to the narrative, they are trying to set up for China, right? Well, okay, so you can't stay in a protracted, fun-sucking war in that territory forever, right? Now, if I was Putin and I followed and I had any sense of the Sun Tzu strategy, then I would say, well, look, you don't put people into a corner because they fight harder. You don't kill, you know, and do we need to kill everyone? No, we don't. So you give them an out and that out is coming from China stepping in and starting to, to offer to be a mediator. Why, why has even Zelensky even remotely entertained the idea publicly that he will go down that road when he's decreed that no negotiations whilst Putin's in power? That's just a nonsense. Um, well, he hasn't really entertained it. Well, he said he, he said he, he just said he would talk to China. I mean, that means nothing. He didn't say he would actually. Yeah. But, but Initiate any kind of negotiation process. Sure, but he was, but he was not was belligerent in saying "fuck you." I'm not talking to anyone, which is what he used to say, right? So, no, so he's, made, he's never outright antagonized China like that. I mean, well, he's, he's tried all, to walk a fine line with China uh, in terms, but, at least in terms of public rhetoric. Okay, but we also know he's not really running the show, right? So there's an there's a theatrical element to this as well for him even being allowed to really say that. Right? Well, right. I mean, that's why. I mean, that's and, why. Uh, uh, she pulled the power move where it was leaked ahead of the trip to Moscow that he was going to be meeting with Zelensky and they said, oh, well, he'll have a virtual meeting, um, you know, to kind of uh, uh, even out his meet, meeting with uh, Putin. He didn't meet with him at all. I don't think he, ever, he didn't even uh, recognize him. There's been no Zelensky engagement with uh, she as far as I know. So yeah. he just kind of uh, rebuffed the whole thing. Okay, but but it, but it, but looking at what is what what the U.S. recognizing that the U.S. has won something, the U.S. has a lot lost other things. I mean, you don't have to dig very hard to find assessments of of um, prior uh, what's it sanctions on Russia alone, and they always fail. There, there, there's some detailed analysis I was reading months ago, year, over a year ago, about what to anticipate, and they would fail. They have failed, and what what have what has been res the result? Well, basically. The, the Middle Eastern players who are reforming on a power basis, people are reforming power structures, aren't they? Because they're basically realizing the limits of the Western projection, right? And also, if you really are the US gearing up for China, you have to face a strategic reality, which is this. Put all of your 11 carrier strike groups into the South China Sea and, and get your allies to, to authorize you to use their landmass to project onto China and Taiwan. Along comes Russia and China with hypersonic missiles, one per carrier, and that wipes out all of your carrier groups. You can't defend against them. I believe that they can prosecute that. Come on, come on, Gator. I mean, if, if 
the U.S. ultimately uh, is sort of so bludgeoned into submission and so strategically in disarray that it finds itself conceding to the legitimacy of Putin annexing the four oblasts and seizing territory of Ukraine by force and incorporating into Russia. And the U.S. just, you know, is now tolerating that and affirming Russia's ability to do that. I, you don't think that will be understood to be a loss? That's the diametric yeah, opposite of the U.S. was claiming we needed to prevent from happening because it was going to throw into uh, chaos the rules-based international order that vindicates well, Russia. Then Russia will have won. Russia will have defeated the course, U.S. But Afghan won against the U.S. Iraq nah, won against not the U.S. In the same, not, not in the same way at all. Um, like, no, but, but, Iraq, but, I mean, no, I mean... Saddam Hussein, no, the analogy would be if uh, Saddam Hussein and the Ba'athist army uh, repelled the U.S. from seizing Baghdad in 2003. That's not what happened. The, the U.S. ended up in a in counterinsurgency posture for several years where, you know, after they claimed to, they achieved some semblance of, like, stabilization in the, in, in Iraqi, uh, in, in the Iraqi sort of, Governance uh, status, and the uh, then they forged a withdrawal agreement with the presiding government. I mean that that's so much different than saying from the outset. Like because when the U.S. went to Iraq, what did they say? Well, we're going to put in a new government. They're going to hold at least nominal democratic elections, and then you know we're going to do some nation building, and then we're going to get the troops out. That's essentially what they did. Um, with if with Ukraine, the whole point I thought was that. The whole world needed to unite around the utterly refusing um, to accept the idea that Russia can seize Ukraine by force. And so they're going to yeah. just capitulate to that all of a sudden and then call it a victory? Well, uh, or, no, wait, 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 wait. So I don't, I'm not saying that America is going to call it a victory. Or, 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 or they're, they're going to accept that defeat, rather. I, I actually suspect that you will have to, right? Because... Two two things. R- Russia will, if if you end up in a negotiation, if we end up in a negotiation, Russia will be tactful enough to sort of present the deal publicly as a compromise, right? Which is giving your enemy in a corner an escape path to save some face, right? That is a tactical thing that I expect to happen. The deal, whatever it happens, won't be as shitty for the West as as Russia could make it, right? in order to allow that face saving. But there will be a tacit acknowledgement around the world as there already is, that the rules-based order doesn't fucking exist because people are abandoning the dollar hand over fist, right? And they've been doing it for 15 years. They're now into a political structure and power structure that totally shows you to your face, the US hegemony is having to cope with a different structure and that's what's gonna keep it busy. But also, um, you've got this problem where a new administration is going to be in by the time, um, you know, you're able to fight China because of the built military buildup. And that's plenty of time to reassess and rebuild relationships and, you know, try to get on with each other in a bit of a different way and, and leave behind the mistakes and the aggression of the past, quote unquote. Right. That whole thing is a dynamic theatre. 
And just because there's a, the old guy now in his administration in at the time banging the drum for X, Y, and Z, and then testing Russia and finding out, fuck, they're a bit harder than we thought, right? And we're a bit shitter than we thought. You do need to get to, 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 to potentially cope with the idea that people aren't competent. And they and then basically work out how do how do incompetent people get out of the corner they put themselves in, and this could be one of the ways that they do it, and it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, Afghanistan, you literally ran away from a terrorist group who are not, in terms of pure military power, which shows you a asymmetric. Well, it wasn't it wasn't, that they, it wasn't that they ran away in retreat at, in like some strategic defeat. It's that they just pulled the plug on the mission after 20 years. I mean, the yeah. U.S. could have stayed there for uh, as long as they want. It's not like the Taliban uh, forced the U.S. to capitulate to it. Um, the U.S. made the choice to withdraw after the kind of the force presence had dwindled over time, and political consensus was for to for the the cessation of the mission. I just, it's not comparable at all with uh, with with Russia here. If if that were be were to be the end game scenario where all of a sudden, you know, Joe Biden, um, you know, has to, you know, kneel before Putin and apologize and say, okay, go, go ahead and go ahead and have Zaporizhia after all. I mean, that would be like an utter, utter, uh, repudiation of every sort of every, uh, rationale that was cited this whole time as to why this was such a necessary battle. But but we're already looking at a reality that, that totally contradicts the opening justification for war. The Zelensky's claims that they would win, and all of the West's claims that we must win at all costs. Right? We're already seeing that in in literally the absorption of troops, troop numbers, and these troop numbers, assuming that they're true, basically back up the ratio of at least four to one losses on a manpower basis inside Ukraine. Right. That means that you've already got a sustainability problem on manpower alone, never mind weapons. And the only way to overcome that is to recall Ukrainian nationals who have fled or put in overt amounts of NATO troops. Neither of those two things appear to be definitely on the cards. So you still got be. a sustainability issue. Could be. Anything's possible. I, if you had told me a year ago that uh, there was going to be this essentially... Uh, Fusion of ch- between China and Russia in the level at the level of intensity that it appears to have happened, that would have seemed far fetched, and that's reflected in that Neil Ferguson column I gave you, where these mm. people were, um, you know, so sure of themselves that they thought it was just a given that China would be disassociating from Russia, given that they'd recognize what a failure the Ukraine war was for them. You know, that opposite happened. So I, I don't know. I mean, I uh, I reserve the right to not have a crystal ball. Um, and, you know, what, what seems plausible to me, at least as a working assumption, is that was what's in one of these classified documents, right, that got leaked, mm. which is that the, the U.S. has made this assessment, which is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, um, a bit misleading or a, or a lot misleading because they're saying that they assess or whoever is, did this exactly. I think the Defense uh, Intelligence Agency assesses that neither Russia nor Ukraine could be compelled to make any kind of negotiation uh, negotiation for the rest of this year. Um, obviously, that sort of omits the U.S. role. But mm-hmm. if the if the the broader point there is that the conflict is going to 
persist and there's going to be other twists and turns and we don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know how the, the Pacific theater is going to interrelate with it. Uh, I just see, I, I'm just assuming a sort of indefinite perpetuation um, rather than somehow the U.S. is gearing up to admit that Putin got the best of them. I, I mean, that, that, that seems like far more implausible to me. I mean, you, could you imagine Joe Biden doing that? Okay, there is uh, there is a there is a different solution, but I still that may not need for overt negotiation, and it's kind of the Korean standoff, right? If that happens, then basically what you end up with is neither side have actually capitulated, and then essentially you're running an insurgency warfare into the uh, occupied territories, which is already happening. You know, that's already insurgency warfare is already being prosecuted by the West in Russia now, right? So you could set that situation up and leave it, and then. America can then move on and start building up for China. That's that's the other side of that, where you don't have a negotiation, you just get a career too. That- I don't know. I, I think I think that's politi- I think it's politically um, inconceivable. I mean, I, I was looking, uh, and I'll, I'm going to move on from you now. Okay, sorry. Okay. Yeah, have a good night. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I was uh, reading. I've been reading some uh, USAID documents from uh, the 2014 period, right? And it's amazing how invested so many different prongs of american um uh, kind of society of the american government of the u.s sort of constellation of ngos and um uh, different uh, you know state department uh, subgroups and usaid and go down the list it's there's a huge such a huge long-term emotional and political and you know, now uh, military investment in Ukraine that w- given the momentum now behind the project, the idea that it's just going to be abandoned at this point, um, I think is totally contrary to everything that we can really be gleaned uh, empirically about the situation. Anyway, uh, Scott, if you're there, Scott, are you there? Scott, 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 come back. Scotty, come back. You can blame it all on me. Okay, Scotty, if you're uh, around, feel free to return. Uh, Will, oh, hey, Will. Um, hello, how are you? Um, How's it going? Good. Uh, hold on. Um, so about the leak, because um, some people were discussing this earlier. I think it's legitimate. Or at least the story is very convincing, because in the Washington Post article, um, uh, the way it portrayed the culture of that particular Discord server, it it, it definitely like echoed like the, the like the sort of culture you see in a lot of smaller Discord servers. But I think the big thing in the leak is that I think Ukraine has been like compulsively lying to the U.S. like um, and that they have to surveil them. Because they don't believe that um, uh, they're telling the truth. Because you remember the, the missile that hit Poland, and for days after the US had said it was a Ukrainian missile, they still completely just... <coughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you... Are you going to dead right now? Right? Live over Colin? No, no, I've had um, that cough for, for, yeah, for months. Yeah, I mean... I mean <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not good. If it's having for months, I mean, that's no, probably I at the point. The point I at find which a doctor that will tell me. I have. I've gone to two doctors. 
you have like uh, uh what are you like working a coal mine or something um I, no <laughs> um but yeah i mean so there's been in- indications of this for a while in that the u.s clearly is not uh of the mind that ukraine is fully forthright about its activities that i mean the and uh, the starkest uh piece of evidence of that for me was back um, when the intelligence, somebody in the intelligence community leaked to the New York Times their accusation or their ascription of culpability to Ukraine for the the, the Dugan uh, attempted assassination that killed the daughter. Um, That gave the clear impression that there were elements of the Ukraine state, maybe Zelensky himself, maybe not. It's hard to really be uh, confident about whatever the chain of command is. But either way, the U.S. was not just uh, was not confident that any kind of um, limitation that they might impose on their conduct, I mean the conduct of Ukraine, is going to be adhered to, uh, and so they had to use that kind of uh, that uh, end run method by putting something out through the media to kind of issue a warning to, to Ukraine or whoever or to rein in whatever factions are kind of getting a bit too brazen or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that there's been indication of that for a, a while. Um, but I do think that, um, I do think that the revelation of just continuous r- spying on Zelensky is, uh, is significant. And, and one of the, and that's revealed in the documents. And I have the documents myself, by the way, I have you know a portion of them. So I'm not just going based solely on media accounts. Our media reports. Uh, the and I, I have the one where um, they basically reveal that there's FISA that they're using FISA to collect the communi- private communications. Zelensky, what are they collecting? Well, he um, is he personally ordered a drone strike in territorial Russia, um, and you know he he's like personally described as having given that order. Because there had been a bit of plausible, plausible deniability before, because we know that there have been attacks inside Russia for quite some time, but because they don't give any kind of clear uh, statement usually as to who carried out that attack by Ukraine, or if it was it some other element of their special forces who did it? I mean, was Zelensky involved? Does he even like have command over the military? Who knows? Well, at least in this one instance, there was an example that was intercepted where Zelensky did give the order, and then. Uh, Pretty much, uh, simul- uh, pretty much uh, concurrently to that, uh, a drone strike was was carried out in a, in a different area, um, and that's flatly contrary to all the assurances that were given around how Ukraine would not uh, strike within Russia with these uh, long range armaments. Hence, the, the U.S. should be perfectly uh, comfortable sending everything that they've got because the U.S. You know, Zelensky was fully on board with Biden's uh, restriction in that regard. Now, I don't think Biden ever really had uh, – there's no evidence really that Biden had strenuously enforced that restriction, um, but at least that was the public line, right? And so now we have a undercutting of the public line. But I don't see anybody really focusing on that. I mean, I'm the only one who I've seen even uh, talk about it very much um, because, you know – Nobody seems to care if the uh, public rationale that's being given as to why 
this U.S. interventionist uh, policy ought to be supported turns out to have been straightforwardly deceptive. You know, that's just so <laughs> unremarkable that it really doesn't even prompt a whole lot of uh, attention. Is, were these strikes supported by the U.S. or were they done by the Ukraine alone? Well, that's so, the thing. That's the, the with the high mass. What happened? No, these are no, these are drones. These are drones. He was no, 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 no. But with the high mass, what I was saying is that they're basically coordinated by the United States. So would, would this be like a? Were they coordinated by the U.S.? Well, I don't think that there have been. I don't know of any HIMAR attacks that have gone into terror. No, 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 I don't no, think no, they have no, the they're range. They're not that long enough range. No, right, no. exactly. They don't have the range for that. But, um, but are, like, would would would, but would you, you, the U.S. be helping with these drone strikes in Russia? Well, presumably not with this particular drone strike, because it was just done freelance by Zelensky to the point that the U.S. had to intercept the communications to learn what how the order was delivered. Um, but that but that gets to the broader question, right? Of do does the U.S. have to physically be involved in every individual operation to bear responsibility on some level for the attack? Because even if like there wasn't some like uh, general in sitting in Poland who, you know, specifically, you know, uh, chose the the targeting uh, details through their you know interface. Um, the U.S. is still the one that's providing for the continued existence of the Ukraine military to begin with. I mean, the the U.S. is the subsidizer. It's the prime mover. It's the the actor in the in the state relationship that ha- controls the agency um so the so the the, the the whatever ukraine does whatever the precise details of the, the operational um uh you know the, the conduct it does bear on, on the on the u.s and it also contradicts the you know the public assurances that were given jointly by Zelensky and biden on a pr blitz as to how everybody should you know yeah, you, know, you know, not be too, not, not get worried about the potential for escalation through long range attacks on Russia because we, we're getting this assurance. Well, they have these ways of circumventing it now, or these ways of, uh, you know, basically showing that that was not the legitimate uh, assurance. Whether or not it's a HIMAR attack, I think is sort of immaterial. No, no, no. It, it's uh, no. I was just using uh, HIMARS as an example of like attacks that would be coordinated by the United States. I was. Um... Uh, it had nothing to do with the weaponry itself. I was just using that as an example of yeah, yeah, I know what you United mean. States coordinating an attack. I, I see, I see. Um, but on on the topic of um, well, I fuck, I just forgot. I'm retarded. Uh, it was oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, nuclear. Like um, on the nuclear topic, because um, there's there's attacks within Russia, right? And it's very possible that um, because I believe the United States, um. Their policy is that they still reserve the right to strike whoever they want, whenever they want. Um, well, yeah, I mean that's that. Yeah, that's the uh, that was that was that strike. was that was codified in the Nuclear Posture Review of 2022. Biden campaign in 2020. Not that it was a huge point of emphasis or anything, but he did uh, have in his nominal platform in 2020 that he was going to revise the nuclear force posture and um, disclaim. First use, so he's going to have a no first first use policy. Then, lo and behold, because uh, events uh, events uh, have turned out the way they have, he 
determined that it was not the right time to, to do that. And so, yeah, that's still on the books. And if you read it, it just says the you know, pretty much the president has open-ended discretion to launch a nuclear attack for any reason at any time. That's the policy. Yes, and the issue is that when, when we see strikes, there's strikes within mainland Russia, there's a very real possibility that the more these escalate, the... the that like that this could be mistaken, like oh we're under nuclear attack, and as I understand it, someone in the chat said I like how Will has prefaced this is seven of I don't know I don't know shit dude I'm just a kid um someone in the chat um well did you I see to... I mean did you see the the New York Times I'm not not you in particular although I'm, I guess I'm asking you but there's a New York Times article based on one of these leaks that I haven't seen the primary source of yet. Um, you know, but clearly, it's accurate. What's, it gets, gets exactly to this. They're, they've ga- they gamed out four hypothetical scenarios that they call Russia, wild like, card scenarios. Under a nuclear attack, because because they don't. Well, if like, there's a missile going to Russia, they cannot be certain whether it's nuclear or not. So, like, if they think they're under attack, they would respond with a nuclear strike, and that's deadly. Let me read you the quote from the article, okay? See, the Biden administration has been particularly worried about a possible strike on Moscow by Ukraine because one might prompt a drastic, drastic escalation by Russia. The dangers of such an attack by Ukraine are one reason the United States has been reluctant to provide longer-range missiles to Ukraine. And then it goes on to say a uh, one of the hypothetical scenarios is that uh, – if Ukraine strikes the Kremlin directly, right, which, you know, obviously would be a gigantic escalation, but they, they see that leading to such a public outcry that Putin launches a um, full-scale mobilization and, quote, considers use of tactical nuclear weapons. So they're, they're saying basically a version of exactly what you did there, which is that the more, um, you know, emboldened the Ukraine is to, to carry out attacks within territorial Russia, the more likely you'd think one of these scenarios is where, you know, so, something happens that uh, could actually be a true sort of uh, uh, like a uh, fundamental shift in the, in the contours of, of the war. I mean, and, and, you, and yeah. you saw that to some, to some extent when they attacked with a drone strike that um, airbase in the suburbs of Moscow in December that uh, housed uh, part of the, Russia, the nuclear uh, the housed part of Russia's nuclear fleet. Um, was this, that co- was that this caused a major Christmas? reaction by Russia. Sorry? Was this after Christmas? Or? Um, I think it was before. I think I, it was like December 8th or something. Okay, because I remember in late December there was like there was another one, Russian there was a second territory. One too. Yeah, there was a second one too. Yeah, and the I, first I, one was I, on the the first one was on the airbase that had part of Russia's strategic like four hundred people or in it or something as well, I believe. Or am I making that up? I'll pull it up. Because maybe it was January. No, it was December. Okay, yeah, I December see. December sixth. Even the New York Times couldn't couldn't uh, get around calling it a brazen escalation. That's what they use, quote, brazen escalation by Ukraine by attacking, by launching a drone strike uh, on two military bases hundreds of miles inside the country. 
Jesus, dude. And the New York Times says, quote, the strikes signaled a new willingness <laughs> by Kiev to take the fight to bases in the heart of Russia, raising the stakes of the war, demonstrating for the first time Ukraine's ability to attack at such long distances. And they, again, one of the bases that they attacked is where part of Russia's strategic nuclear fleet was stationed. So that's about as, about as uh, bold as you can get. Um, and it did prompt a reaction. Uh, so, Yeah, because the thing is that like, they could mistake it. Because like, you don't know if it's a nuclear attack until it's too late. You can't tell from, from like, a conventional weapon. So like, if they think they're being nuked, is, that's the biggest issue. Like, this happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis. You probably know about this, I imagine. That, um... Right. Uh, they're, they're basically... The Soviets, um, there, there was... They almost authorised a nuclear strike, but... And it was vetoed by, like, a single person. Um... I, th- I think there was some nuance later added to the accuracy of the, that chronology, but no, I, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Um, although I don't think it's necessarily true to say that you don't know that it's a nuclear strike. I, until I, mean, I think I think Russia is even sometimes speculated to have more sophisticated uh, detection systems than the U.S. in that regard. So they they well, I'm, I'm, I, I I think they I think they probably I don't know for sure as, as though I've examined the uh, the systems or anything, but I'd be fairly confident that. They're able to distinguish between a, you know, a, a drone strike that has a, um, a regular ordinance on it uh, versus versus a ballistic n- n- nuclear tip missile incoming. Um, otherwise, you know, why didn't they re- retaliate with a nuclear reprisal with that drone strike? Um. Well, because it's not like no, I'm talking about like um, well, some weaponry can or cannot be. Um, nuclear, I believe. I, I don't know anything about weapons. This is just like stuff I've I've heard people to be other Oh yeah, no, I just I've just picked up enough uh, natsec jargon and stupid ass acronyms that I can like sound minimally conversant in it in like weapons <laughs> systems discussions. But I find it so obnoxious for people who like think that they have to like uh, really master all that inane jargon around like this or that system and if you don't know how to distinguish this uh, missile versus that HIMAR versus that uh, artillery piece you're just a total idiot because you know you, sh- you ought to be immersed in this whole like uh, system of thought that around the military uh, you know lingo which I don't really want to that's be what I, that's what I do with people around computers that don't know about computers to make it sound like I sound smart <laughs> but the thing is, I don't even know it. It's like it's not even a real, a genuine area of expertise for me. I could just sort of fake it. Like, um, yeah. But all that matters is that they explode. I think <laughs> it's like a um, devastating. Is that what explodes? You know, the, the, you know, some, something. You know, they explode. They do shit. They kill people. Oh the, right, the yeah, yeah. They go bang, bang, boom. <laughs> well, I mean, you get that in the U.S. Every time, like, uh, there's always a dumb. Like every time there's a mass shooting or whatever, and it's with a uh, AK-47, and somebody says it's a, like a military-style rifle, you'll have like fucking... the, you'll have like the gun crowd saying, "No, it's not." Bam, 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 bam. They'll have a whole technical explanation for it by the, the person that's so stupid. And yeah, sometimes it, <laughs> sometimes it's true that 
people who don't like guns can uh, will just be sort of sloppy in how they, they characterize certain types of guns and use the most sort of incendiary uh, characterization of them to make a political point. But also, then again, who cares? I mean, they're so it's crazy to, like, as fuck that, like, yeah. in America, you can get crazy weaponry if you're like a schizophrenic teenager. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, like I've always been fascinated by that. Well, you used to be able to get it in Australia too, uh, but until the Tasmanian. Uh, but but it's John Howard, false flag. <laughs> was that? Was I'm that, a, was, that was, was that a false flag to disarm the Australian? No, no, no. I'm jo- I'm joking about that part. Have you ever? Uh, <laughs> I've read. I think I've I've read the Wikipedia of that Tasmania mass shooting in like Port, what it was. Port Arthur. Yeah, yeah. I've Port read that Arthur. several times. I just I don't know the 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 um, the blow by blow. Uh, Account of it is like perversely fascinating, so I'm a, I'm aware of that. No, no, because what they like, um, it, it was one t- thing is that um, no, the the uh, the the main right wing party, like uh, no, not the main one, sorry, but like one of the further right parties in Australia, they tried to beg the NRA for like twenty million dollars up to, up in the 2019 election to get them to support. <laughs> What, guns are not really yeah. wait. So they they were just gonna get a foreign donation. Fuck yeah! No, there's this Al Jazeera documentary on it. How to sell a massacre. Oh, oh. So it was gonna be like a dark money. T- I mean, uh, yeah. There's always like yeah. crazy. Cl- I mean, well, I, I remember th- th- when Trump was in office, there were uh, always like this, like uh, these wild claims percolating about how the, the NRA was this Russian uh, front group, or the or the Russians were uh, laundering money <laughs> through the NRA <laughs> to fund Trump and Republican Republicans. Excuse me, it was always like no, nonsense. Is, um, so I'm like a little no worried. editorial standards. No, no, there's like a documentary because. Because Al Jazeera, they got some guy in the party, like, to join the party, and then they went undercover and shit. But, um... They got no. an NRA, like an American NRA member no, to no, join they got the someone Australian to join. party? No, they got um, an Australian to join one na- uh, the party that was trying to get the money, One Nation. And it was basically, like, two episodes of... Uh, the people in this party begging the NRA for money. But why would the NRA give? Why off? would the NRA give some right wing party didn't. that nobody in the US has ever heard of money to win an election? In Australia, well, because they wanted to. The idea was that they would get a lot of Senate seats enough that they would have to form a coalition government, or like they'd be able to veto and repeal the gun restrictions. The party, and they would force the Liberals to repeal the gun shit. That was the idea. Sounds like some cockamamie thing that some Al, some pro, like Al Jazeera producer came up with to like make a uh, ambush <laughs> show out of. It was it it was and the media covered it like it was like it was like super size me you know <laughs> like it was um that's yeah. how it was portrayed. <laughs> um, like I mean, you must not have enough to cover in Australia if you have to like concoct this uh, international scheme involving the NRA to, like, have... Al Jazeera doesn't even air here, but the, the, the media was all over it. <laughs> it's all they talked about for weeks. It's, really? it's, they do this a lot. Really? Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I regret to inform you that Australia has never been talked about for even, like, two days at a time in the U.S. <laughs> well, because it's a shit country. <laughs> I can say that. I, I live here. Well, that's um, sad. But, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry you live in a shithole country like um I didn't Trump say shithole, I said it's a shit country. Did did Trump call Australia a shithole? No, he didn't. Oh yeah, it's, oh, yeah Trump and the NRA the shit that they say about Russia, there's like what the fuck are their editorial standards? Like like, cause it's the craziest shit. Well, like, I mean that was a, that whole the, NRA thing was um it was like in Rolling Stone, I think. I mean, the thing is I doubt like it wasn't like they were just fabricating the facts. It's just they spin stuff together in this tenden- tendentious narrative uh, because they're kind of um, borrowing on the uh, just underlying assumption that there's something nefarious going on with Trump and Russia. And then they could connect all kinds of dots and the credulous reader who's already, you know, blinkered in their hatred of Trump probably just accepts that as a that's like thing. that's like what Rachel Maddow did she like she like um she would go on a show and she'd like like get all these like uh pieces together and she'd put them together and and you well, the it got to the point where, where, where the, the uh, one of the people who was supposedly implicated in this Russian NRA plot was this woman Maria Butina <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of her she um no she she was a Russian younger woman well, she's like my age. She was younger like when the stuff was going on that she was later implicated for. Um, who was uh, basically just like a political sort of entrepreneur type. Entrepreneur in the sense that she actually wanted to... Uh, she founded like some libertarian gun rights type group in Russia where there's that kind of thing doesn't exist because she was Amer- American influenced. And then she came to the U.S. and like wanted to do... Um, you know, like uh, maybe informal lobbying and stuff in in D.C. She was just like one of these strivers and networkers in D.C. that flooded the place every single day, and but then it got um, like retroactively cast as this um, sinister she's, she's a criminality. Shaker in, in the, and then, in the but, but, but the kicker is, I mean, I, and I, I wrote about it at the time. This was twenty uh, eighteen, nineteen. Um, but the kicker was she ended up convicted on this ridiculous. Uh, Essentially, it was a a registration, uh, an omission on her registration that she was supposed to submit for uh, FARA, the, the lobbying uh, disclosure, um, not like Russian interference or anything. And she got, she was put in solitary confinement. They threw her into solitary confinement. It was, it was like for, 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 for fucking up your FARA registration. Yep. Or did she not register, or did she just fuck it up? Um, I think. I think she didn't register, but the thing is, it's, uh, it was so arbitrary because FARA violations had never been enforced prior to Trump, the Trump administration. So there was no he, like expectation as to what would be uh, like, as, like the enforceability of it. Um, but I, I do think I remember I spoke to her lawyer, and I, I do think them like there was some she intended to do it. I mean, or, or like if she had known that like the the conduct that they were saying was covered by. Farah like required her to submit it. Like there was ev- there was evidence that she had sought out uh, counsel as to whether she was obliged to submit it, and told us she what wasn't. And so that's what they got her on. And they you know and they just you know they they used all the sexual um, uh, sort of denigration of her because she was a younger woman. So it was like she was this Russian honeypot. She was just a whore. And and uh, you know she actually had like a boy like. She had like a, an older Republican guy who was her boyfriend, right? And that, that was made out to be this, this transactional, uh, you know, mail-order bride type relationship or something in the media just to, to 
you know, defamer pretty much. And, you know, they were in an actual relationship. I mean, it was, it was one of the most uh, shockingly just... Uh, <laughs> But that's like the just, exact sort of Russiagate yeah. shit. They just like spin, they spin like fucking gold from straw, right? And it's worth nothing. Like, um, like, do you, like, and they never really focused on Trump's policy decisions on Russia, because anyone can remember. You would like remember the State Department consistently saying under his administration, Crimea is Russia. Uh, Crimea is Russia. Like, uh, you know, what about the strike in uh, on on Kanchakun? Um. No, over Kanchakun, or like, you know, and they would never ever focus on, like, his policy decisions, just things that allegedly happened, rather than what's actually happening. Yeah, you know, I just, uh, it just so happens that uh, last night I was um, pulling some quotes from Trump administration era national security strategy uh, documents, and I have that exact quote. Uh, this is the 2017 National Security Strategy. Uh, with this is the Trump administration. So this and Trump himself, he has the you know every president has the this introductory letter that they personally sign on these you know, national security strategy uh, documents. With its invasions of Georgia and Ukraine, Russia demonstrated its willingness to violate the sovereignty of states in the region. Russia continues to intimidate its neighbors with threatening behavior such as a nuclear posture and the forward deployment of defensive capabilities. Although the menace of Soviet communism is gone, new threats test our will. Russia is using subversive measures to weaken the credibility of America's commitment to Europe, undermining transatlantic, uh, undermining transatlantic uh, unity and weaken Euro- European institutions and governments. Obviously, the idea of Trump actually uh, writing this, that's writing this is, is absurd. Um, but, you know, it's, it's like in John his name. John Bolton or like Pompeo. Um, Probably more. No, I don't think it's. No, it's. Uh, this would have been a Pentagon. No, it would probably some like staffer or something. But like, that's well, like, it, it would have like, been. It, a, like it would have been like a joint mind. effort among a uh, certain cohort within the Pentagon. Um, yeah, yeah. Elbridge Colby. I don't know if you see him on Twitter. He's like now uh, uh, generating lots of uh, fascination because what's, of his what's Taiwan. His Elbridge oh, yeah. Colby, he he was the principal writer for this next one, the 2008 National Defense Strategy. Um, um, but here, here's um, what he wrote in Trump's in Trump's name. CCP takes Russia, Taiwan, it would subjugate. Russia seeks veto authority over nations on its periphery in terms of their governmental, economic, and diplomatic decisions to shatter the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and change European and Middle Eastern security and economic structures in its favor. Um, um, blah 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 blah. That's so that's Elbridge Colby writing that on behalf of Donald Trump, 2018 National Defense. So, so, something else interesting I found. Um, this actually, this is out of nowhere. I'm mentioning this. Um, it was who was it? It was his first Secretary of State Tillerson. He, they, yeah. <laughs> um, he actually stopped so- the Saudis from invading Qatar. And and what? Like, uh, no, Rex Tillerson, he stopped the Saudis from invading Qatar. What, like he... he uh, Personally stopped he, he, them. He stood on the beachhead with his uh, hands stretched out? No, no, he called them and he said, if you do this, you're fucked. Uh, I don't even remember. I don't, I'm not doubting you. But <laughs> I, uh, the, there was so much... Never. There was just like so much daily mania of the Trump uh, years <laughs> that it all kind of uh, blurs together. No, dude, it was so fucking entertaining. It was like, it was the most entertaining thing ever, man. Yo, Rex Tillerson was the only <laughs> reasonably decent appointee that Trump made. And, of course, it was the first one that he fell most, like, flamboyantly out with. 
and fired him on Twitter. Um, <laughs> like it, it was like the one sort of like out of the box pick that he made for you know Secretary of State. Um, not that out of the box. It wasn't like totally, uh, you know, shocking. But it wasn't like just some. It wasn't just something like, well, long-standing Republican foreign policy operative, right? It was just a guy who ran Exxon Mobil. Um, yeah. Who, who um, you'd, expe- you'd expect to have like less of like an ideological view on these things, and um, well, for whatever was, reason, he like he had, he had dealt with Qatar as Exxon president or CEO. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah, Al Jazeera, August 1, 2018. Rex Tillerson stops Saudi and UAE from attacking Qatar. Okay, I must have missed that. No, I wouldn't read an Al Jazeera article on that of all, of all media outlets. Well, it's citing... Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, it's citing The Intercept. Who wrote this? Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, that was the article, The Intercept. I, but um, the Trump administration... That was such... It was, it was entertaining. I think that's the best way to explain it. It was... It was it was consistently entertaining. And it, and it happened 13 bef- hours before he was fired on Twitter. <laughs> really? Fuck. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. I should actually read the article first before his, I just his, go and say His it. Twitter's unbanned now. Let me find it. All right, well, um, I'm going to get to the, uh, John here because I, uh, I got to do some other stuff at some point, but uh, we'll, right. we'll continue chatting. It's very excellent talking to you. Thank All right, you bye-bye. Much. All right, hey, John. Uh, John, can't hear you. You might be... Can you hear me now? On mute or... Yep. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so I think that like when when you're um, researching and 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 coming to and analyzing the Ukraine war situation, uh, because that you're like you know you're you're very well rounded critiquer of things, but maybe like war isn't like your necessarily your specialty. You kind of give America the benefit of the doubt because of the fact that we are, you know, uh, you know, spend the most and are at the top of our game historically and stuff. But the reality is is that the war in Ukraine and as, and I'm somebody that's, you know, I'm a pro America American, like we're like, there, there is no America helping Ukraine to get out of this mess. Like it's be, it's way, way beyond that. And how do you mean, I give, not, America, do you mean uh, I give America the benefit of the doubt? I'm not, first of all, I'm not sure anybody can quote specialize in war. Um, no, 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 no. Yeah. I, get, I get what you're saying, but I'm saying like that, like the reality is, is that, like if you really and truly look into the situation, like like at an obsessive level, like as opposed to having to do what you do, is you have a you're looking at things like a gazillion things and doing it on an expert professional level. But if you took it took like stop and really 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 focused, like gave it Ukraine all of your energy, you would see that there are like nuances in do? the situation. Um, you know, it, to to an embarrassment, like you know, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not proud to say it, you know. You, um, you, I, mean, you I think like, I, I would be. I mean, I kind of do that. I would say, but like, like not but the, on a, not on like a, not on like a military tactical level where I'm obsessively well, refreshing, like what little quadrant of well, northeast Bakhmut. No, got, no, no. You know, no, and that's not what I'm saying. Like, like there is like a really, really clear timeline of how, like, the uh, Russians have attacked the situation and what the Ukrainians have done and what America has done. 
And we're like, and from that timeline that has happened, you can kind of see the, there is a point where we went past the point of no return. And so essentially when Russia invaded originally, they did it as a special military operation. Putin crosses his T's, dots his I's, and made sure that the international community really couldn't get him, right? Went in there thinking the entire time and openly thinking that these were Slavic brothers. He was going to get three things. He was going to get recognition of Crimea, independence, not the two Donbass regions coming over to him, but independence for them, and that they weren't going to do NATO, and that he was going to get there in three days like everybody else thought, and they would go and negotiate. And then he fucked it up, Putin, Admittedly, he admits this, he let the kind of regional militias in the Ukraine, the Russians won't handle it. They got all bogged down with logistics and stuff. And Ukraine, underestimated Ukraine, Ukraine's an ass-kicking, really tough, really loyal, really berserker type of group. And um, America saw that and was just like, oh, well, maybe we can like kind of like get them to win. Russia's on the defense. And then they came to a point where... Russia's just like, we got to just take our entire strategy and redo everything. And as they were doing that and pulling away from all these spots that they had previously occupied strategically to reassess, that's when Ukraine did this whole entire um, like offensive where like they picked up all this. Wait, like, wait, 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 so so what, what, the, what was the turning point exactly? Was it late um, March, okay, early so, April last year when they withdrew from okay. the Kiev area? No, 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 no. So, uh, so in one of the major things that happened was was that they your had connections, uh, ca- your connections, sort of crackling a little bit. I don't know if you're. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is it better now? Yeah, better? yeah it's better. I'm sorry. So there was uh, there's a few different points. They I, and I cannot stress this one point enough. Russia thought there was going to be negotiations, okay, and they planned everything based on that. And there was meetings in Turkey. It was either and they in had March negotiations. They had a deal in place. They had a deal that that Ukraine signed off on. And then when they told America, the UK and Britain said, if you go forward with that deal, we will never defend you again in any circumstance ever. So Ukraine reneged on that deal and kept the war going. Well, is that, is that right? you just kind of like narrating what you assume was the, you know, dialogue no, can, there? No, I mean, like, if you want to, like, then this is what I say. If you, if you want to look this up. Like, I have looked like, it up. I know what you're talking about. I've spoke, I've spoken to Fiona Hill about it, who published her essay in uh, Foreign Affairs, where she uh, kind of gave some further information about that. I've, I've spoken to lots of people about this. Um, so I know exactly what episode you're referring to. It's, I mean, the claim is that uh, because of, because of the, uh, Horrors of Buka, that just meant that the negotiations were no longer tenable, and it's when Ukraine, uh, Ukraine sort of uh, reneged. I, mean, I don't know that I buy that narrative necessarily. It's neither here nor there. The point is, is that Russia was at the negotiating table, and, the, and so was Ukraine, and America, for whatever their reasons were, kept it going, all right? And they thought that they were going to be able to beat Russia back, and they had every reason to think that, because Russia fucked up at the beginning. And so we put in tons of money and tons of military, and Ukraine did an incredibly good job fighting. And then around the summertime, I think around July, it could be give or take a month, all right? But definitely no later than August. Ukraine or Russia revamped everything and said enough's enough. We're pulling out of anywhere. And, it's, and it was the big thing that they pulled out of was Kherson, 
region in Kurson City. Well, that was November. And we kind of no, but I, I understand that. But that was like this is a longer phase process. I'm talking about when they started doing it. Too, they they had eighteen thousand paratroopers. They had to get out of there, right? And they were able to get them out without anybody realizing that they were doing it. So by the time they got out, like even the people, like if you will, like look up more contemporary, um, like like assessments of it, even by like American like military people and stuff, it was actually considered like an amazing thing that they did just retreating from there. Where at first it was like holy. You just dropped out, John. John, you're silent. Got to rejigger your uh, connection somehow. John, can you hear me? John, hello. Um, I'm going to first mute you, and then I'm going to take you again and see if you can come back. John, are you there? Hello, John. Well, don't know what happened. Maybe he just kind of uh, got lost in the fray or the uh, the stars are not shining down on him tonight and he got cut off in the middle of a point. I was waiting to hear how all that lead up was supposed to show that I'm mistaken about something. I was uh, <laughs> I was actually interested to hear that argument. Um John, I'll remove you from the queue. I don't know if you're still there and you can come pop back in or not, but um, either way, <laughs> we'll have to uh, leave everybody in suspense. I know I'm in suspense. Please confront me next time. Maybe I'll even do this tomorrow or something just to satisfy my curiosity as to how the whole uh, chronology that you were laying out there showed that I'm somehow in error about, I don't know what it was exactly, the uh, military uh, military triumph of America or whatever. And it's probably for the best because I don't know why I do these things for three hours. It's so contrary to my interest, just in like a raw uh, time allocation calculus. But then again, I do enjoy it, so then I have to weigh that. And here I am even ranting more when I could just end the, end the room, which I'm going to do now. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will reconvene in due course, as usual. Bye-bye.